السلام عليكم ورحمه الله تعالى وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا ثم بعد would like to welcome all of you for this uh, presentation on the art of adult education you see this introduction right now as short as simple but it can be very powerful compared to something like this ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا Although I know that we learn when you talk to people, of course, you all start with the thana and the hamd and the dua and so on. But the energy in the way that you present that make big difference. We've also learned in many, many Islamic schools and also education and universities that when you talk to people, you need to look in a certain direction, for example, and holding you know, a certain position when you stand in front of the people and showing specific characteristics. But things change. culture of people change and the dynamic of the crowd will also change and you're going to have to adapt many many new techniques that will be will make the message very effective the art of adult education as we have the word art over here it's actually an art in addition to being an art it's also a science we're going to discuss that together inshallah ta'ala but before this i want you to know who is speaking to you right now my name is yasser birjas i uh, originally i'm originally from palestine born raised in kuwait until 1990, 1991, when the war started, actually we left after that. I started my uh, professional career studying electronic engineering uh, in UAE. So uh, by profession, you could say I started as an engineer. And then subhanAllah, somehow, change of heart, I switched to Sharia, where Alhamdulillah Allah blessed me and finished in Medina, uh, University of Medina, Kuwait Sharia, back in 1996. Allah blessed me being the valedictorian of that class. SubhanAllah, very interesting. It's a long, long story, Annie. But that experience in itself, of course, obviously, it's, it's part of the adult education and learning as well. When I finished, alhamdulillah, I uh, went immediately to Bosnia. There I spent four years of my life, alhamdulillah, working as a relief worker and aid, a humanitarian. We worked with men, women, with children. Uh, most of my job was really taking care of refugees, also dealing with uh, uh, the educational aspect of these, uh, these communities. So well, like we could say like a resident da'ya and a resident you know, relief worker in that region, that area for four years. Alhamdulillah, it was, it was a very blessing experience. And I can tell you, Allah, it was the most humbling experience I've ever had in my life. Four years studying in Medina teaches a lot in terms of information and knowledge. But four years I spent working with the people, that's a whole different level of knowledge. Something you're going to have to realize that whatever that you learn, it might not be necessarily what people need at the moment. SubhanAllah. You adjust even your knowledge based on what people need, not what they just want or what you think that they actually want. Uh, after, alhamdulillah, spending four years in, in Bosnia, I got the opportunity to come to the U.S. over here. See, my family lives in Indiana, not too far from here, about 50 minutes away from here. My parents, my, my brothers and siblings. So I was the last one to come over here. So I came in 2000 to El Paso, Texas, where I spent nine years, alhamdulillah, as an imam, also as well, working with the community there. And then... Uh, One year here in Orland Park, about 35 minutes from here. And then I went back again to Texas, where currently, alhamdulillah, work as an imam at the Valley Ranch Islamic Center in Irving, Texas. I'm also an instructor with the Maghrib Institute from, uh, let's say, from 2004 until now, alhamdulillah, I've been teaching around the country and taught thousands and thousands of hours and thousands and thousands of students. A great ni'mah, a great blessing to be a teacher, real an educator. And it's an unbelievable experience you learn as you teach as well. Um, uh, alhamdulillah, I got the opportunity after teaching for many years 
I realize, you know what? Something is missing. Because what I really do, I communicate with people, but it doesn't seem to be connecting well with them. So communication, anyone can do that. But connecting is a skill. So alhamdulillah, I applied for a master's degree in adult education, where I got my master's in adult education and training from the University of Phoenix, 2013. And since then, alhamdulillah, I can tell you, wallahi, the way I present, the way I prepare my classes completely changed and completely different. And subhanAllah, the point is effect, be, uh, getting the results. If you don't get the results done properly, don't always blame the crowd. And that's what I teach myself. If the point didn't go across, then you need to blame yourself first and foremost as a presenter. What went wrong? Is it the content that you chose? Is it the timing? Is it the setting? Is it the place, the space? Is it you, the presentation, the energy? Something went wrong, did not allow the people to connect. And that's something we need to learn, inshallah ta'ala. This presentation is gonna be all about this, What is it all about? What are we gonna learn in this presentation, inshallah? Like I said earlier, everybody communicates, but few people connect. As a khatib, just the fact that you're standing on the member doesn't warrant you the right to force people to take what you say. Just because you're an imam, as an assigned leadership, doesn't make, doesn't make actually or guarantee people will follow. So what do you need to do? You need to make sure that whatever you do with the people, if you're going to lead the people, they need to walk, you know, your walk. They also need to come and follow you. And if they're not following you, once again, there's something wrong with the quality of your leadership. And that's what we need to learn over here. How can I communicate and connect with my audience, with my people? Inshallah ta'ala, here we're going to learn that, uh, how to experience how adults learn. Alhamdulillah, all of us here, of course, in the adult age. Usually, usually, scientifically or psychologically, they, they, measure, they measure the adults, adulthood age from 17 and up. 17, 18 and up. So they have different age groups. Alhamdulillah, we're all above these age groups right now, in the middle of that, actually. So we're going to see how adults learn and how they experience learning. It's not like children. We're going to explain that, inshallah, we have a very unique way of learning. We're going to study it together, inshallah, uh, And when we come to learning, we also, as imams, as da'ayas, as public speakers, we need to realize that not everybody is going to receive my knowledge, my information equally in the same fashion. So sometimes, sometimes, as a khatib, as an imam, I come and I give a presentation that is more of like one size fits all. Yani one topic, the same topic, I give it out there, and it's up to them how they're going to receive it. No, it has to be actually the other way around. If I know that my crowd is very diverse, my crowd is very uh, in terms, uh, diverse in terms of age, in terms of cultures and subcultures and gender and so on and so, I have to. I have to present it in a way that will allow each and everybody to feel that they've been, they've been targeted or been basically kind of benefiting and being uh, 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 considered in that presentation. And that's something very important. The way that I say it, the way I present it, and the material that I choose, actually, it makes a lot of difference actually for people when it comes to learning from you. Before we can even start any programs, that's how one time I remember a brother, Another imam, I actually coach imams as well, by the way. Yeah, so I do actually imam coaching too, where we, we, we get together and talk about you know, how to make a presentation, a program. So one imam one time, one time called me, he said, Sheikh, you know, how do you do your tafsir class? I said, tell me what's going on. He said, well, I've been actually teaching tafsir, but it's just like, it's boring. It's just the people are not there. I said, tell me. So most likely you will have maybe about 10, 
maximum 15 people sit in your, uh, in, your, in your class, and most likely they're sitting in the back of the masjid, and they stretch their feet towards you, and they don't want to leave because they're so embarrassed to leave you alone speaking. He goes, yeah, that's true. I said, we all go through that at some point, subhanAllah. So how can I make sure that the people, when they come, they come because they want to learn and listen? So I said, okay, tell me how do you prepare your class? He said, well, you know, I said, what do you call the class? He goes, tafsir. I said, that's it? He said, halaqa and tafsir? He said, yeah, I said, do you know, do you know how the people, they know what you're talking about and what subject, what surah? He said, well, you know, alhamdulillah, we start from the beginning until the end. I said, don't do that again. People, they need to know, they need to have some like benchmarks, goals to achieve. So whenever you do tafsir, I said, instead of just saying tafsir class, choose a surah. So for example, let's talk about Surah Al-Nur, or Surah Al-Hujurat, for example. So Surah Al-Hujurat. The first thing you begin with, you divide the surah to different segments, and then each segment choose a title for it. So one part of Surah Al-Hujurat at the beginning, which is the Prophet Wasallam. So talk about this, respecting the ilm, the knowledge of the Prophet Wasallam, and so on and so on. The second thing is about, you talk about, in ja'akum fasiqum binaba. Al-ghiba, al-namima, al-akhbar, tathabbut, kada, ila akhri. All this would be another, another subject. Then you talk about, innam al-mu'minun al-ikhwa. You talk about the other portion of the ayah, the surah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ya ayyuh khal qawmun min qawm, adab. So when you divide the surah like this, each session has its own title, its own subject. And then you realize, okay, I'm going to need six weeks to finish this surah. You announce a program. Tafsir Surat Al-Hujurat, six weeks, and you present the titles for every week ahead of, ahead of course of, of starting the program. So people, they know when they come what they're learning, and they know each subject and each topic and each week so they can design their attending, timing, program, whatever, and so on. So it's from the beginning to the end, when people know what they're learning, they will actually, they will benefit from that and they will come to it. But the problem when you say tafsir, and how many people are they gonna just come? Because they don't even know what you're talking about. SubhanAllah, he did what, I, what we talked about. We coached him, so we had the program up to seven sessions and he did, alhamdulillah, all the titles and everything. I said, give a description for every subject a little bit and you will see. So later on, a few weeks later, he sent me a text message. He goes, Sheikh, Jazakallah khair, said that formula that you gave me, it works like magic. He says, I'm, in, I'm forever in debt for you or to you because of this. SubhanAllah, I said, Jazakallah khair, keep up the good work. And since then, mashallah, you've been doing all these activities in that fashion. Whether it's tafsir class that you're given, seerah class, aqidah, akhlaq, terbiyah, whatever that you're going to be teaching, you have to put some effort on designing it in a way that is beneficial to the adult audience. A lot of us, and I'm one of you, as guilty as charged as well, sometimes we run out of time. We don't have you know, much you know, to, to prepare for a long, let's say, program. So we just announce, okay, Sira program, Akhlaq program, Fiqh of Ramadan, this and that and so and so. So we just do these generic titles. And you expect people to come? Of course they're not. Except those are loyal to you because they love you, they, they feel embarrassed to leave you alone. But we need people to come because they want to learn. So inshallah ta'ala, that's something we're going to be learning over here, this actually, this class over here, or this presentation, is a summary of an entire, entire uh, uh, 
master program that, I, that I've taken actually from 2011, 2013 on adult training and education. I'm giving a summary. I'm not going to give you everything, of course, here. We'll give you just summary, and shall leave you more time for you to ask questions, inshallah ta'ala. Just to give you an idea so we can test our, uh, our base knowledge. Uh, the base knowledge, basically, it's uh, to see what we, what we know already before we start that. So here's the result of that, that survey that we sent you. It was about 15 pages, if you guys remember it. I mean, 15 questions. So the first question was the age group of this group. We get actually 16, 17, as a matter of fact, 17 answers. One was updated just recently. So 17 answers, we got them here. What is your age? So majority of the hadirin here, they said, from 25 to 34. And I'm not sure if this is true, yeah, looking at the audience over here. Some people, they wanted to look younger. <laughs> no. <laughs> so apparently, mashallah, some people, they just maybe took the survey, but they didn't attend. Okay. Uh, how long have you been teaching adults? We asked this question. Look at the answers over here. So people, they say, you know, less than a year. Some people are just still a yeah, freshman in this area. Other people, mashallah, one to three years. So we have three people said one to three. And the majority, mashallah, equally four per, you know, answer from four to 10 years, 10, 15, 15 and plus. So mashallah, we have experts over here. I'm not the expert here. I'm on a facilitator. You guys are the expert. You've been dealing with teaching for 15 years and up, most of you over here. So that's great. Alhamdulillah, Bahman. So therefore, we're going to need to share that knowledge together, inshallah. The, th the third question we had, do you consider yourself a teacher or an educator? It's a tricky question. So we said, okay, some of you said, I'm a teacher. Other they say, I'm an educator, and that's the majority. That's cool, but are you? That's a question. Because if you're an educator and you don't, you know, yeah, and people are not still benefiting much, there's something wrong then. So then uh, some people, they say, I don't see any difference. Teacher, educator, it's the same thing. What's the difference? And we're going to learn the difference, inshallah, here in this presentation. And I, well, some of us say I'm both a teacher and educator. You know, when you say I'm a, both a teacher and an educator, it's more like saying I don't see any difference. It's a tricky question over here. So it's not really what, yeah, what people should consider uh, teaching versus educating. And we're going to see that together, inshallah. Question? How many people say I'm, I'm a teacher? Only one. Was that you? Say, <laughs> what is the largest? What is the largest age group of your audience? When you teach in the masjid, when you go to a, a halaqa program, a conference, whatever that is, who comes to your room? Who comes to your halaqa? So we've seen that most people say over here, those who are between 25 and 34, or 45 and 54. Now that's very ironic, by the way. Although, based on what I see over here, I don't want to say I have doubts in saying that the majority are between 25 and 34, because that's critical age, and not so many people would might come and attend our class, our halaqat, for reasons we're going to discuss together, inshallah. Then... Like a variety? Well, actually, that... that that the, uh, the question allows you to choose more than one age group. So that's why probably, yeah. That question in particular was open for more, one, for more one than, than one option. Now, Taib, who attends your classes more? Female students or male students? I, as you can see, we say most of us say male students. 
Honestly, in my situation, more females than, than, than male students. Masjid versus exactly. So maybe because you guys, if we teach in the masjid, we don't see the women's section. We don't realize that more women probably attending than men, subhanAllah. I have classes in my masjid as well. What I do, the men, men classes and women class and community classes. So when we have community class, alhamdulillah, yeah, you could say it, it's kind of balanced. But when you have men classes, few people attend. But when I have women classes, you talk about 100 and up every week. Huh? It's, it's basically, it depends on what you present and what they want to attend and the timing as well. We're going to discuss that, inshallah. Next, we have which age group is most likely missing from your classes and programs. So even though we said that 25 to 34 is the one that attends the most, but here we have quite significant drop, yani. And the majority is 18 to 24. Why do you think they don't attend? We're going to discuss that together, inshallah. Question number seven was, have you ever attended any program on adult education and training? Look at the, the, the contrast over here. SubhanAllah, yes, I did. No, I didn't. I'm not even sure I understand what does that mean. Alhamdulillah, we understood the question. But here's the thing. We're teaching adults. But we never really, we never thought that this requires specific training from us. We thought this is just happens, then, alhamdulillah, by natural yani, design. It just, you know, you move on, you start teaching, you build the experience, and it's going to work. I thought so too. I thought so too. But when I start seeing kind of like my effectiveness in teaching in my mazhab, whether when I give the khutbah, or I give a khatar, or give a talk, is not as effective as it should be, I realized something was wrong. And that's why I went and looked it up, and alhamdulillah, I found there was an actually a master's degree program in adult education and training. And I took that. A lot of it has technicalities, not, really, not actually related to my field, but I, fed, I benefited so much from that degree, alhamdulillah. So there is actually, it's a science. It's an entire science, and we're going to discuss that, inshallah, in the, previous, in the next few sessions, inshallah. When I teach, I focus on. So we said, do you, do you focus on finishing the material before the time is up? Like some of us, we are content-centered teachers or educators. I have to finish the material. Like in the khutbah, I don't know how many of you do that, Ijma'ah. But when you know the khutbah is 25 minutes, and then what do you do? It says, I know the time is up right now, Ya Ikhwah, but this is a very important topic. Give me another five minutes of your time, inshallah ta'ala. And people will be waiting for you outside to beat you up afterwards, right? Sometimes we do that because we focus on the content. Now, if you say, give me five more minutes, believe it or not, the attention span of the people drops, not just dramatically, it, they shut down immediately. Because the expectation was that the khutbah needs to be over by one o'clock. And once you pass one o'clock, and here's the perception of time is, um, is very unique. When they know that the khutbah ends at one, and, they, and you start at 12.30, they're prepared. They don't feel any fatigue, they don't feel any exhaustion, they feel anything. The moment the clock passes one and you're still talking, Suddenly they realize, oh my God, your khutbah is too long. By one minute. But it's the perception of time that this one minute was over, of course, the board. So we see here that most people, they say, I focus actually on the students, not the material. I hope so. I really hope so. And we're going to learn here how you focus on the students more than the material and more than the time that you give, actually. Next. Question number nine. How long does it take you to prepare for an hour session? MashaAllah. 
An impressive answer, طبعاً, of course. But is it true? Allah Ta'ala. Because I'm guilty as charged as well. Sometimes when I don't have time, I would have to grab my phone and go online and Google a topic. And because, alhamdulillah, I know as an imam, I have a wealth of topics I prepared a long time ago. I'll just scroll down and browse for the material. So I prepare it, and then I go to the presentation. That's not fair for the audience, I admit. But alhamdulillah, that's not all the time. It's sometimes in emergency cases, yani. But when you give a presentation like these, you will give a presentation that requires a lot of hours, you have to sit down and prepare for everything. Inshallah, towards the end of the presentation, we have a whole section on how to make a successful delivery, how to make actually your choice of, 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 uh, of words and, and topics effective, inshallah. We're going to discuss that towards the end of the presentation. Next, how do you choose the topic of your session? If you, yes. Absolutely. When we talk about the educator, that is us over here, all of us, we have a whole section on that. So we say that teachers perspire and educators inspire. Teachers, they get so tired, exhausted trying to teach, but educators, they motivate. When it comes to the khutbah, if I ask you guys a random question right now, khutbah, what is the purpose of the khutbah to you? Is it to educate the people? To teach? We all know that you only have 20, 25 minutes with these busy-minded people who are sitting there just for the sake of doing their wajib and leave, right? A lot of us imams, we think that this is the only time I have with these people, so I have to teach them what I know. It's not about teaching them what you know. It's about inspiring them, motivating them to go and learn what they need. So usually what I do when I give a khutbah, and if I have an important topic, I make the khutbah as a motivation and an action item. I will say, tonight, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to be discussing such and such topic in detail. Subhanallah. There are always, always extra people coming to attend as a result of that statement. Why? Because when you inspire, they come. So we're going to discuss that, inshallah, in details afterwards. How do you choose the topic of your session? Like we said, uh, most of us as imams, what we do, we, subhanAllah, we think, at least we think, that we know what the people really need. But is it based on uh, survey? And even just to be between me and Juyani and the camera, is if you, if you look at the, what we discussed in this weekend with an uh, uh, Amja conference, it's all about new Muslims, you know, cases and events and so on, right? I would ask myself the question. When I was asking and wondering the question, subhanAllah, of all the speakers who gave presentations in the weekend, I wonder how many of them made surveys with new Muslims. I wonder. Or is it just them, you know, predicting what they might be going through, what questions they got all these past years and, and months and so on, and then start making their research based on that. I was, I was really willing and waiting for someone to present a survey that I made these questions and I asked these reverts 
throughout these years, this massage, these communities, these areas, this and that and so and so, and this is what we got. So I felt that, you know what, that's not fair. That we're given, we're given answers to questions that we predict might not be as relevant to many of these people who are actually trying to serve in the community. So that's something we need to learn as community, as, as leaders, as educators. If you're in the masjid, just because you're the imam doesn't mean that you give topics because you believe it's important. Yes, they are important. But the way you deliver it is one thing. The way you market it is another thing for yourself and for the community. But you have to also understand what do people need the most. So you can present it to them, inshallah. So here, most of us, we say, okay, I bring what people need, even if it was not interesting to them. Now, that's the correct answer. Because I have to keep, they, say, they always they say, give people what they need, not what they want. Because you will never go wrong with what they need. But there are tons of times you'll be wrong if you only give them what they want. And what they need is not what you think they need. Just because you're the imam and you think, you know what, I have to teach them this subject and that subject. It's not necessarily what they need. This is what you think they need. So you have to ask. You have to get feedback, survey the people, discuss with them and so on and so on. And subhanAllah, they will benefit from that. I remember one few years back when I was, I still teach actually in my community the uh, women's class. So usually when you teach women programs, what most likely topics people would choose for women? Mostly family. Family things, you know, you know the family stuff, children, uh, heart softeners and so on. How many people would think of giving women classes on usul al-fiqh, for example? Few. Because we don't think they need it. So in my classes, I taught them the same thing. I taught them all the, the necessary things at the beginning of al-adab, al-akhlaq, al-aqaid, and so on. And then when I realized that alhamdulillah, the, the, the group is much solid and is ready, I asked them, what do you guys want to study next? So they didn't know what to choose. I said, I have a suggestion for you. What about studying usul al-fiqh? Because if you're going to be studying fiqh next, let's study usul al-fiqh. So the ladies and most of them were mothers. said, what is usul al-fiqh? I said, this is what Usul al-Fiqh, so I explained it to them. There was some skepticism in the classroom, but then at the end they said, okay, let's try class one. So we said, I said three levels, level one, level two, level three. And let's start with that. So subhanAllah, we did start level one, and we didn't stop until we finished the three levels in about a year and a half. And wallahi, one of the sisters, which is the most rewarding thing you would say, you hear from your audience, when she came to me, she said, Shaykh, I want to thank you very much for respecting our intellect. It says, because we don't really let, take these classes, no one really come to respect us to give classes as serious as Usul al-Fiqh, but it was very challenging, but at the same time, extremely, extremely entertaining and important. Alhamdulillah, you know, again, I asked them what they needed, and they responded, and we gave them what they needed, and that's what, what we want for them. Next. These are some of the answers some people they gave when I said others. So it depends on the event. I used all of the five uh, options mentioned. I bring what people need and what is uh, an, inter uh, an interest to the people because it, uh, it relates to their daily life. I prepare something relevant to the community situation. I pick what is needed there, uh, 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 if, there, if, interest, if there's interest. Question number 11, do you use instructional material in your presentation, like they use PowerPoint, do you use handouts? Do you let people watch video and make a comment on it? How, what do you present? Of course, we have some limitation in terms of giving the khutbah sometimes, right? But other than that, 
when you give your halaqa, when you give your program, when you give your activity? Do you use some of these material or not? The answer is sometimes. The vast majority said sometimes. And some people, once, only one answer we got says all the time. I'm not asking you to give it all the time. But I would love for you to start considering giving something because people, they value. And we're going to see that how people learn. Some people, they learn visually. Some people, they have to have hands-on material in their hand, taking notes and so on and so on. And other, and so, on. so we're going to discuss that, inshallah, afterwards. Number 12. My common style of teaching adults is, the vast majority, they say, lecturing. Most of us, we lecture, which means we stand and we talk. It's one way you know, kind of like conversation. Now that's not healthy. We're gonna see in this presentation, inshallah, we're gonna be using multiple styles. Right now, I'm doing the, 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 the lecturing because it's just an introduction, no more. So we're gonna have discussions afterwards, inshallah ta'ala. But when it comes to teaching adults, lecturing is not necessarily the most effective, by the way. It's not the most effective. And we're gonna have to adjust and adapt. And if you're gonna have to give lecturing, you're gonna have to structure your lecture to segments. Each segment, no longer than 12 minutes. 12 minutes because that's an average, actually, attention span before adults start actually dozing off and start getting sleepy or getting distracted or losing interest. So every 12 minutes, you have to, by design, make some sort of like a shift. Whether it's shift in the topic by saying, okay, chapter two, part two, or something like that, so that's a new thing. Remember, adults, they like to achieve. So these benchmarks and the presentations for them, number one, number two, number three, these are called, you know, achievement benchmarks. You have to number it, and you have to make it very actual structure. Question 13, when I teach adults, I will most likely stand up. Now, of course, if you're given the khutbah, you're going to be standing up, of course. But besides giving khutbah, how do you usually give your halaqat? Most of us sit down and, 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 and talk. I've learned that also from our mashayikh when I studied in Medina. And mashallah, most of our teachers, most of our teachers, they will sit down and talk. Uh, to be honest with you, regardless how much knowledge they had, yani it was too much when you have five hours back to back, each instructor just comes and sit down and speak for an hour. No discussion, no question, and so on and so on. That's why any teacher who wasn't doing it that way stood out for us. One of them is Sheikh Shankiti Habibullah Ta'ala, Faqih al Medina. I remember actually, he used to all complain about back pain. So one day, and when he comes to the, to the classroom, he stands up the entire hour. He keeps moving around even. And when he teaches in the masjid, he sits down. So one time I told him, I said, Sheikh, please sit down. We know that your, your back you know, hurts you. Please, if you sit down and talk, you can just teach while, while sitting down. He said, I can't do it. When I teach, I have to be standing up for them because it might give the energy to the students as well. So that's something you need to reconsider in your masjid as well. If you're going to be given halaqat, programs, activities, you're going to have to be standing up and moving around. Unless, of course, it's a very specific topic that requires for you to sit down, that's a whole different thing. And uh, 14, when I'm done with my talk, when I'm done with my talk, I always leave good time for Q&A. That's a very crucial subject. I have two books for you over here on, qu on asking questions. Part of what adults, the way they learn, is actually by provoking you know, in their minds these thoughts and also giving them questions. So when you ask questions, there are two kinds of questioning, or two kinds of questions. 
Number one is what we call static questions, and number two is dynamic questions. Static questions, adults, they hate static questions. Why? Because the answer to the question could be right or wrong, and no adult, you know, most adults, of course, don't like to be wrong, especially in public when they ask a question. So, for example, if you say, man awwal man Islam, who is the first person to become a Muslim or enters Islam amongst men? People, even if they know the answer, they will hesitate because they don't want to be embarrassed. Why? Because the answer might be right or might be wrong. Dynamic questions, on the other hand, don't require people to give answers that are right or wrong. It's an opinion-based answer. So you say, what do you guys think about doing such and such? What do you think if someone does this in the community, for example? What do you think? What would happen? So these kind of questions are considered dynamic. There is no right, wrong answer over here. It's an opinion, it can be right, can be wrong, but you have the right to discuss that or actually to present that. So always do your best to ask your audience dynamic questions, not necessarily static questions. Of course, it doesn't mean to eliminate all static questions, but if you're gonna be and motivate this to the audience, you need to use a lot of dynamic questions. The last, the last question we had over here, while I'm giving a talk, I allow students to ask questions during the presentation. Most of us said so. And of course, besides the khutbah, and some of us, they said, you know what? I only allow questions at the end. People, they have different styles. I'm coming to you. People, they have different styles. Uh, I learned the best style from Shaykh Al-Uthameen, rahimahullah ta'ala, when he used to teach us, subhanAllah, he would speak for about maybe 10, 15 minutes on a subject, like I said, the 12 minutes, you know, kind of thing, and then he stops. He goes, any question? And he says, he takes three questions. And then he moves on to the next part. And then any questions? SubhanAllah, so that keeps the audience awake, entertained, engaged, active, and they hold their questions until the time is ready for asking these questions. But if you say to tell the students until the end, wait, keep your question with you until the end, until the end, and the end is after an hour or two or three or four or five hours of presentation, no one's going to come to come and ask a question because they're too tired. Probably even they forgot the question anyway. So it's very important that you give them that chance. It's actually very crucial for them to ask a question because they learn through asking questions. That's what they need, not what you try to present to them. Your question. That was my question. Mm -hmm. The same thing. I'm going to be actually speaking and give you a chance for Q&A. But this was just an introduction to go over the survey, and then we're going to start the presentation, inshallah. Now that we are done with the survey, any question? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
When we learn, inshallah, about the adult learner, that's us over as we learn right now, we're gonna see the needs. What exactly each one of us in age group, what we're looking for in, in the learning experience. So you start, you yourself realize what you're looking for. For example, I'll give you an example. As an, as a, also now. Mm -hmm. No, 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 we don't do that. But this whole presentation is on, on andragogy. La, 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 this is adult education. This is andragogy, not pedagogy. We're gonna come to that, inshallah. Yes? No. Mm -hmm. No. No. Well, that's true, but some, no, that's true, but we're going to learn here, inshallah ta'ala, even in classical topics, like I teach tafsir, I just finished tafsir to a few weeks back, and after that I did some etiquettes from the Prophet some how to, to correct the mistakes of other people. I taught sirah, I taught akhlaq, I taught aqidah, I taught so many, many topics, but I guarantee you, people, they come. They don't come because me teaching, they come because when I teach, they're learning. That's a big difference. There's a difference between me giving too many, too much information and giving them knowledge. So that's what we're gonna learn over here. Even when you teach tafsir, you need to give the people knowledge, not just information. Yani, if I'm gonna be only just relating what Imam Ibn Kathir said in the, in the tafsir, or what Qurtubi said in the tafsir, and what they said in the tafsir, I'm not doing much because they can just grab the book and read it. And if you don't understand Arabic, they will find a translation for it. But what you need to do when you do, when you do tafsir, or do class in Arabic, you have to teach, you have to educate, you have to give the, not just the information, you have to give actually beyond the information. And that's what we teach over here, inshallah ta'ala. So with that being said, before we take a break, inshallah, I would like to have an activity with you guys. Just have an activity, inshallah. That's gonna be for the next maybe 30 minutes, inshallah, or so. So, yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Survey. Survey. So for example, when I have a class, when I have a class, for, exa for example, uh, well, here's the thing. When you ask, when they survey the people, people, they'll choose. So if I ask one individual, what do you need to learn? They give you something. But when I ask 50 people, they're going to debate and they settle on a topic. So you give them what they need. But of course, you have to be in charge. And that's, we're going to learn this, inshallah, as well. Yeah.
Absolutely. I mean, that's why the survey in the masjid is different than survey over here. We, we send surveys by email over here. But when we come to the masjid, the people are present in the classroom, and we give them the option of, this, of topics, and then they choose for themselves. That's how it goes, actually. So you take it, you take it on the spot. That's the best kind of uh, uh, survey and feedback. Don't send it out now. Hold on. True. This was a based... Uh -huh. No, the, the survey we did over here... I agree with you. The survey that we did over here was not about needs assessment. It was actually about uh, base, knowledge-based, you could say, kind of like testing uh, the, the knowledge base, basic base of your knowledge. What do you have? How much you know about the subject before you start talking about it, inshallah. Without being said, I want you all to stand up if you don't mind. All of you, stand up, Ijma. So in this activity, inshallah, we're going to learn we're going to experience an example, a sample of adult education. How does it work? So what we need to do is this. First of all, you need to, just before you start moving, you need to go around the room, shake hands with seven different people. Seven different people. You didn't shake hands with them probably throughout the whole weekend, if you can. Remember that, inshallah. And then after that, choose seven people to, to be together. Make a circle somewhere in the room, because we will have an activity, inshallah, azza wa jal. And when you sit together, get to know each other by name. Speak about briefly about your experience. Remember, you will have five minutes, which means you need to speak under one minute about who you are, what do you do, and what's your experience in education, inshallah, for your group. Is that clear, Jama'ah? Bismillah, go for it. Go ahead. So go around, shake hands with seven different people, and then make a circle, sit together as seven people. Okay, Jamal, Assalamu alaikum. Stay where you are, stay where you are. Are you guys done with introductions? Huh? One more minute? One more minute. Go, go ahead. One more minute. Finish the introduction. <laughs> Memorize the names. Thirty Bismillah. Bismillah. Stay where you are, Jama'ah. Stay where you are. Okay. Yalla, Jama'ah. Stay. Be with us. Be with us. Okay. Stay where you are. Stay where you are. From that group over there, 
I want some volunteer. Give me the name of everybody in that room. You guys, you do it. Someone volunteer. I don't pick somebody in particular. Who's gonna do it? Oh, guys, let's hear them. Let's hear them. Okay, go ahead. comfortable with strangers. As an adult educator, a lot of people come to your class, you don't even know them by name. There is, it's hard and difficult to communicate and connect with people when you don't know them very much. You're going to have to break that silence and try to get to know the people. One way of doing it, which actually we skipped it over here a little bit, is while people coming in, you shake hands with them and introduce yourself and everybody else around you. That's very crucial you do that. Even if usually, they usually come to your masjid to the halaqah, sometimes after Salat al-Jum'ah, as a recommendation, as an imam, after Salat al-Jum'ah, I go and I stand by the door. I don't sit in my position for very long. No, I go and I stand by the door, and as people coming out, I shake hands with them. Jazakumullah khair, barakallah, thank you for coming. Barakallah, I appreciate that. You have no idea how much impact it leaves in the mind and the hearts of people even if they did not hear much of what you said during the khutbah, wallahi, they will remember that moment. And next time when they come, they come very cheerful because they know that you're a friendly imam. Sometimes we do that handshaking before they, you go on the member. Like come a little bit earlier, sit down, for example, in your office for some time, get outside, shake hands with people as they come in. Jazakumullah khair, barakallah feekum, mashallah, how are you doing, how's your day? Just basically get comfortable with strangers. That's a very important thing. The second thing, is this is a social aspect. As human beings, we are social beings. We learn better in a social, social actually gathering than we do, we, we do individually. So when you try right now, right now each one of you are sitting on the, on the seat individually. So you're trying to learn on your own. Suddenly right now you made a circle, you made friends. You guys now realizing you're learning together. So learning together is much more motivating than learning on your own. So that's one way actually of making it happen. How do we do that? We sometimes ask the audience as they get in a halaqa to, to give feedback to each other, to give an answer to each other. So we kind of connect so we can help them start learning together, inshallah ta'ala. 
And obviously, it's a network opportunity, networking opportunity. So Sheikh Muammar, for example, right now, he would go and connect with Sheikh Ali, for example, Abdul Nasser, somebody else, getting to know someone from somebody else, or another major, another community. Oh, mashallah, oh, you you teach that kind of, you know, uh, that program, or this program. It's a good opportunity for networking together, inshallah. Before you leave, I hope you guys can share contact with each other, inshallah. Now that we learned this, the next question and activity for you is to discuss together this question and give me an answer. Which adult age group is most likely missing from our masjid programs? When you call for a program, when you ask for a halaqa, when you call for a, a tafsir, pro, whatever that you do, which, is, which age group is most likely missing from your masjid program? And what is the most likely profile of a member of this age group? I want you to mention five top you know, descriptions of that age group. So for example, for example, some of you might say, well, what is missing is the one from 50 to 60. Okay, what's the, what's the, the profile? There are uh, older adults, retirees. Um, uh, you say, for example, first uh, uh, immigration, for example, immigrant uh, background. Generation background and so on. So literally, make a profile. What is the profile of that age group? Go ahead. You have, you have four minutes, inshallah. Yes. Please, go ahead. Hold on a second, hold on a second, yes. I have objections. Please, go ahead. Because we all are adults. So uh -huh. why do you ask for the age group? Uh -huh. I think the question should be, what discipline is missing? What experience is missing in our group? Uh -huh. I think that will make more relevance to the mm -hmm. program we have. What experience is missing? Mm -hmm. What learning is missing? Mm -hmm. Not what age is missing. We will, we will come to this, but we're discussing the... the, the, the why, why, what is the purpose of the age at this stage? Okay. I'm, I'm not saying I, I, it's not related to me, uh -huh. age or young or no, but we all are adults. Mm -hmm. So once we are adults, then the age is not the issue. The issue is the missing for us to learn. But what if I tell you that the age is actually is very crucial? Explain it to me. We will. This is adult education. This is not the children's education. I understand. So we have the right to come and take. Bear with me. Did you check the presentation on your, on your, on your booklet in your hand? I, I want to listen to you. Jazakallah. We have five parts. Books to read, but I'm learning. I'm coming here to learn too. And well, this is just an activity, and we're going to start the learning process after that. What I'm saying is that you're going to start a whole section on adult learners and adult educators. We're going to discuss that. Yes. Sheikh, I go with your opinion, and I think uh, age is very, very important because yeah. of my own point of view. This is not a debate. He's the presenter. He's the material. Let's listen to it. Generation, generation, I think, every decade is different. And generation and the way of thinking is different from one to another. How are you guys discussing together? Discuss together. Bismillah. Go for it. Continue with what you keep saying. If you guys want to sit down, go ahead, sit down. So I can get you on camera. Now you hit your mic and not. So if you go with the move mic. Yes. Let's wrap up the first question. Yes. Yes. Yes.
So we have three minutes for this, inshallah. Three minutes. Okay, are we ready? Sama, are we ready? Tayyip, Bismillah. Let's hear from you. We got, we're going to go all the way to the right side first. You guys over there. Huh? MashaAllah, You guys feel free to take one of the tables to sit down if you want to because we have two more activities coming with this. Tayyip, tell us guys, which age group, which age group you said that it's mostly missing from our programs? Okay. 
So newly married professional students. That's that's this is a date group. Wonderful. Jackalaka. What about your group? So from here, what do we see? What do we see so far? There's like a majority line. You chose guys the younger, the younger generation. They chose the a little bit older generation. So they all agree that when we come to our programs, this is the group that we, we visibly see missing. We see sometimes younger ones, kids. We see older ones. They come in their, their late 30s, 40s, and older. But that group in particular is not there. So we can agree it's a problem for us, right? What is it, why, is it so, why is it so problematic for us? Why is that a problem to us? Because most of the community, they consider this is to be the next what? Generation, the next leaders, right? And if they're missing, how are we going to train them and prepare them to come to the masjid? That's a critical thing. Now the question is, that comes after this, which I want you to discuss together, is what are the top five reasons, what are the top five reasons you think they don't attend? Why they don't come? Think about it. Now you gave me the profile. I want you now to give me the top five reasons why you think or you believe they don't attend our programs. You guys, you've chosen that, that age group. You can continue talk about it that younger one. But you guys, you told, I want you to think of the 24 to 35. 24 to 35, why you think they don't come to our programs. Give me the top five reasons. Not about their profile, it's about us right now as leaders, as masajid, you know, uh, imams and masajid and so on. What, what is it wrong that it doesn't, that it doesn't actually they don't come to our masajid? Are we ready, Imam? Are we ready? Okay, Bismillah. The group over there, you guys, you've chose, you chosen the, uh, the, the 16 years old and up. At least 24, right? 16 to 24. Yeah, we, chose, I need you, huh? we chose 16 to 24. 16 to 24, okay. I need you from your first because the age group is younger. Okay. So let's see, what do you guys think? The top five reasons why the young adults don't necessarily come to our programs and our activities. So uh, our top two answers were that there's a cultural gap between the teacher and presenter uh -huh. and with the youth. Okay. And the second top answer was that because there's no sports or recreational activities for them. Okay. The other three answers we had were not as high, but they were still a majority. Uh -huh. We find that the presenters were too restricting in terms of making the religion hard for them. Uh -huh. um, that there was a weakness in the faith of the youth and thus they didn't uh, come. And then the last one is that the masjid does not address their needs or give them fulfillment. Okay. Wonderful. Okay, so this is basic for that age group, right? You guys, uh, we're going to discuss that and shout together. Now you guys, you have the same age group almost. You said 24 to 35. So let's start from, let's start from you guys, from here. Bismillah. What do you have? What do you think that the top five reasons why this age group of professionals don't come to our masjid? <laughs> They don't have children yet. They don't have any motives to be involved in activities. So there is no motivation for them to be involved. To be involved in that, that sense. 
So you, you say that it's usually those who have children who will feel motivated to come to the masjid because they want to take care of their children. Okay, but not necessarily themselves. Okay. Okay, so when they bring their kids, they get involved. Um, we feel from the masjid side that most of our protection and savages are focusing on mainly cater to the younger ages, which is the, the, the way young children with activities, and the adults that are above, above 35. So you say that most masajid they cater for younger ones and the older ones. Okay, but if we talk to these people, they say the programs that they're, they were catering to the younger ones, they're actually so, so strict that they don't want to come. But I, my, my answer is because of the nature of the Our masjid has a gym, so uh -huh. that, that allows sports yeah. activities. Maybe the other masjid doesn't have sports activities, so that's why they have So there's no recreation. You have recreation at facility there. Other masjid might not have it. Okay, what else? Uh, third, that we have identified the fact that this age group does not or lack the long-term vision. So they don't have a focused vision of what is it, the consequences of not uh, being involved, what's going to cause uh, consequences? So they don't have a long-term vision uh, for themselves in regards to their you know, religious education. Yes. But I assume they have another vision for themselves, for themselves. and their professional career, right? Uh -huh. Because for the professional career, we feel that this comes by nature. They just graduated, they want to get hired, so it comes to nature. So should the masjid provide services? Should the masjid provide services where they give some professional training in the masjid to bring these people in? Do you guys understand the question? If we know these people, they're busy working on their career. Can we help bring that career development to our masjid? How many masjid they actually they do professional training and fields outside of religious activity inside their masjid for the people, these people to come and attend? So, okay, what else do you have? So, we think also that uh, from the masjid part, the masjid for this specific age group mm -hmm. lack the, the, the ability to empower this group, meaning that uh, we got examples. We, we asked them to come to be involved in shura and mm -hmm. execute committees and whatever, but they always feel intimidated by their fathers, by their elders, that every time they speak something, the others would out, out, outspoken them by experience. What would we call this? Masjid politics? Mm, could be very well. Uh, uh, Basically, the, the older generation is kind of like blocking them. They're, there's a block. Even if though it's not necessarily an official block, but it's an unofficial block that is blocking these younger generations from participating and, 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 and helping. Wonderful. Last point. We feel that this is something that by nature, this age group, is way more focused on establishing themselves to get married, to have children, to have well-established jobs. So life distractions is making them not being able to fight. You, said what, you hear what you said? They're focusing on building themselves, getting married, career, establishing themselves, and so on. If this is what they're doing out there, can the masjid provide these services for them? The question, are we providing these services for them? That's the question. Now, okay, let's hear from the group all the way in the back there. Now, uh, yes. I mean, the, we got a few things here. We have career orientated, already mentioned. Uh huh. Uh, Mission politics, which obviously can take a number of different forms. Yes. Between the board, 
versus the imam, vice versa, mm -hmm. uh, or even between community members, etc. Uh, and they don't want to. They don't want to deal with that drama. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you're saying they're missing the spiritual experience in the masjid. It's more technical. It's more re religious than spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the most successful, based on this point, the spiritual aspect, what is the most successful program that brings these younger generation or these young people to the masjid? What is it? What is it? What is it? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. It's called Ramadan. See? It's called Ramadan. It's because it gives them that boost that spiritual imam boost moment, they come. The question for us as imams and leaders and dayas, can we duplicate the experience for them outside of Ramadan? That's what we need to start working on. This is the big thing for us. How can we make the spirit of Ramadan, not Ramadan itself, of course, the spirit of Ramadan remaining alive in the masjid so people can continue coming? Basically, what do we do differently in Ramadan that makes these younger people, younger generation, come into the masjid and they spend hours sometimes and they're willingly volunteering, mashallah. There is something brings them there. What is it? What else do you guys have on your point? We're gonna come, inshallah. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Like there's a disconnect between what is being preached in the masjid and what people really, really need to deal with every day. Like for example, in the elections, Trump became the president. No one says anything about on the member. For example, they were talking about Ghiba and Namima, which is good. There's no doubt about it. But is that the time that we need to talk about Ghiba and Namima in that moment? Is that that's the last point? No. Oh, mashallah. Go ahead. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you said they, they need clowns in the masjid, yani? They, they need clowns in the masjid? <laughs> so basically, they want to be entertained while they're learning. Okay, what else? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. No. Nah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Okay. Nah. So the message doesn't have that, that environment that makes him feel welcome for his home. Yes. Is that last point?
نعم So they don't own any program in the masjid. Okay, no. No. Yes. Which is a spiritual aspect they're missing in the masjid. Jazakumullah khair. Thank you very much. Now let's hear from you guys. What are the top five things that you have? About that same age group. Uh -huh. So time management or priorities? Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. But is that true? Is that a true excuse, though? Because suddenly in Ramadan they have the time. The thing is, why do they come for this? <laughs> Shaitan is locked, right? Not locked up, so they have to, they, they can come. Okay, what else do you guys have? No. Mm -hmm. Basically, we don't, we don't really ask them what they're looking for, although we have learned right now what they really need and what we can provide for them here, but we don't provide it, unfortunately. Yes. Uh -huh. The entertainment aspect, right? That's it. I mean, what I'm saying, the entertainment aspect, it gives them that satisfaction outside of the masjid. The masjid doesn't have to bring the movies and the games in the masjid, though, but we can provide the same feeling of gratification, satisfaction with other programs that will make them come to this, yes. Friendly environment, welcoming environment versus being so strict and so, you know, kind of like ultra-conservative community. Now, Jazakumullah khair, wonderful. So, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. The most important aspect of that connection is what? How do you know that you connected with the people in Ramadan? How do you know that? They come back after Ramadan. If you didn't, if they don't, if they stop coming, most likely you stop connecting with them. And they might be coming back for some time, but if you didn't, if you stopped connecting with them, they'll stop coming. So that whole process is continuous. And That is true. So you as an imam, you do your best to connect with these people that light, right after Ramadan, a few days later, when they settle down, they start coming back. Now, okay, so this is very crucial for us right now. We know what the problem is. We know where the issue is. The question that, we ca that comes, inshallah, which is the last question for this activity, is the solution. So we know what the problem is. 
You guys, you know what the problem is now. What I want from you, I want you to discuss the top five solutions, the top five activities that you suggest that our masajid provide, our community provide, to make sure the participation of this particular group and that they come back to the masajid. What do you guys suggest? You know what they're looking for. You know what the problem is. What can we do to make them come back and continue coming back? Bismillah, go for it. All right, Bismillah. Assalamu alaikum, Jama'ah. Shall we start? Okay, Jama'ah, we're looking for solutions now. We have less than 10 minutes to finish this session, inshallah. Take a break. Okay, let's hear from you guys. Let's hear from you. Assalamu alaikum. So let's begin, let's begin the solution with the younger group. The younger group from the 16 to 24. What do you guys suggest, have suggestions for us, inshallah ta'ala, to bring this young, young group coming to the masjid? One is investing in the education of the imam. What kind of education are we looking for? So, depending on what the shortcoming is, whatever it's a language barrier, improve his language skills, his presentation skills, improve it, give him presentation skills. Uh, if it's lack of um, socializing, maybe give him interpersonal training. So, imam education. Is the imam education just a matter of sending him to take language classes or just take degree in, in the university or is it also improving the imam's quality of life as well? Because if the imam, if the imam, imam feels that he belongs to the community, he'll put his heart into it, right? But if you only just give the imam barely to survive and have his insurance on Obamacare, then how you don't think his heart is going to be there, right? It's very hard. So that's one thing. What if he has all these things right now, alhamdulillah? The Imam education, I agree with you, it's very crucial, very important. What else? Number two is giving the youth professional training. So do a survey of what it is that they want to become and then have training sessions throughout the year for those professions to cater towards. So basically survey as well, that's that age group, what they, what they really need so we can provide these services in the massages. Okay, what else? Number three, we said having social activities. Mm -hmm. We took examples of having a camp, basketball tournaments, and looking at their hobbies, and then creating like hobby clubs. Hobby clubs in the masjid, what they actually like, for example, if you have, uh, uh, again, like you said, camping activities, retreats, programs, and so on. Wonderful. What else? Number four is giving them ownership and responsibility in the masjid. So either having a youth committee or just appointing them individually to responsibilities that they should take when we say youth committee, are you going to give them full responsibility of the youth program or are they going to still be supervised by the adults? It's going to be the, I mean, we didn't discuss that in detail, uh -huh. but ideally if we can give them full ownership mm -hmm. with a supervisor that is... But the point we're making here, they need to own the program. Even if we were to give supervision or not, that's another thing. But they need to know that this program is, belongs to them. They design it, we approve it, we work together on it. Anything else? The last one we had, we had is uh, a liaison between the uh, committee and the youth, so a youth director. So youth director. What if the youth director is just running, you know, with the youth away from the masjid policy? <laughs> or fire the board, what do we do? 
But we have to create harmony, like you said, layers on, but something that we all work together as a community. Otherwise, we go back to the same bears, the bears that we're talking about over here. Wonderful. Let's hear from you guys now about the other group. So we talk about the young professionals, 24 to 35. What solutions do we have for them? Not to overlap with them. You director for that group. Because we feel the challenges are so many that if you just focus everything on the education community or the imams, like we just can't we just can't run the masjid with one person running everything. So the imam we want him to give the khutbah and the class and the design and the program and everything and so it doesn't work like this. We need people who are designed for this. Yes. So the other thing that we have mentioned that uh, was not mentioned is that we need to start focusing on providing services mm -hmm. and not necessarily so besides the mm -hmm. services of catering to the adults of Umrah, Haj, Ramadan, and that, uh, social services, mm -hmm. or even some things that would attract them, like tutoring classes, uh, like uh, tutoring classes, preparing for Saturday. No. Preparing for uh, how to prepare your resume, how to, to professional uh, pro professional training in the masjid. Wonderful. Okay. Um, and then we, of course, for the masjid that have do not have a facility is to seriously convince the uh, officials of investing into, uh, uh, into entertainment facilities mm -hmm. that would offer organized games, that would not only bring <coughs> people in, but as a cap on that. In order Recreation, basically, facilities in the masajid. Do you guys know that some masajid, uh, in the Dallas area at least, Danny, we have one masjid in the Dallas area that actually has a swimming pool. About other, maybe other, other five masajid have uh, uh, gyms, but one masjid has a swimming pool. Do you agree or disagree? That's not the point. But at least they're doing something about the recreational aspect of it. Now, So the same thing, what they said. Zakalaka, wonderful. Yes, please. Monthly potlucks, social gatherings. Zakalaka, wonderful. This group over here. Yes, what do you guys have? Bear with me, Jamal. We have about five, seven minutes in shot to, to take a and then we take a break. Yes. Something similar we worded in a slightly different, but one was actually engaging this young professional crowd to share what they have. Let give them a platform to share what they So what Sheikh Muammar mentioned basically bring the bring professional training in the masjid. You're saying they need to be the teachers. If they're qualified. Because if you assign someone to become a teacher, guess what? What is he going to do? He's going to call all his friends to attend. He's bring them all to come. Hey, I'm going to teach this guy. Come and join us. So he's going to bring the people. Yes, what else? Uh, then we had the empowering your, your volunteer base, so you know, encouraging them to volunteer and then actually providing them Opening and volunteering opportunities for them so they can empower them. So they give the, you're giving the ownership of the program, so they can execute that. Wonderful. They need to become the leader, so involve them in that. And then one thing you mentioned, hasn't mentioned is uh, marketing and, and the presence on social media. Marketing, so using the social media where most likely they will be, right? So this is where they are going to be. They're going to be on social media. So the major needs to market data activity and programs there. 
on the social media. Wonderful. A question for you guys. When, when Trump was elected and the fear mongers, they won the platform basically in the country. How many masjid, how many masjid did a program exclusively to invite people to come and teach them how to deal, you know, with this new events in their lives? MashaAllah, one, two, three. Okay. How many of you brought professional speakers? Like whether they care speakers, for example, or maybe wonderful. So if we, if we are actually trailing these events, then we're doing a great job. Alhamdulillah. Whenever an, an event happens that requires people they feel scared or they feel un, un, you know, uncomfortable, instead of asking people to shut down the massage and just cool down a little bit and then come back again, we bring the people and teach them how to manage these issues. Counseling, we bring counsel. Like when, when this happened for us in our message, what we did, we brought somebody from care to speak. We brought a political analysis to talk, talk about this issue, the political aspect of it, and so on. As an imam, I was a spiritual guide on the subject, and then we had a counselor, professional counselor, someone who's specialty in, in, uh, in counseling. And we all spoke on the subject because that's what the people needed, and trust me, we had about 400 people, if not even more, packing the, the Musalla area, because that's what the people needed. So this is something we, we realize how much they need, so we give. Last group, go ahead, Bismillah. Now we take a break, inshallah ta'ala. Um, so we know that a picture speaks a thousand words. Sure. But we would offer this food because mm-hmm. it speaks volumes of books and over a million words. So offering food with our programs. Like padlock? Huh? Padlock? Yeah, padlock, you know, pizza, for that specific. <coughs> barbecue, if you're in Texas. Barbecue, yeah. Nah. Um, the advertising, <laughs> flyers. Um, making them very nice and professional because people... Visuals. When they see the program poster looks awesome versus just somebody did it on PowerPoint, it's a big difference, right? Mm-hmm. But are they going to be motivated by external factors like these? Are they going to be motivated by external factors? Some of them they might do, yeah. Uh-huh. Nah. So this is this is part of their environment that they live in, right? So you, you think about those people, they're not really connected to the messages, they you know, they don't see an eye to eye. In their professional life, that's what they deal with, right? Mass professional marketing, yes. uh, you know, prizes, raffles, you know, something that kinda right, it's catching their attention. That's how they look at nah. engagement, right? So we're looking for social marketing. Not just social media, social marketing. We do have actually some brother who is specialized in our community. He's specialized in, in, uh, in social marketing. And he designed a lot of activities and programs for us. So we do sometimes like family things. Like you guys said, last weekend, we had a fly a kite picnic. We had over, over 1,000, 1,200 people came to the park with their kites. Just for that program. And subhanAllah, just like amazing. And the program was from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. And people, they stayed for two extra hours as well. And after that, subhanAllah. Just the social marketing. We also have a, a, a picnic breakfast every, every month, like you said yourself. And that's where those, most of these people, they come because they're young, they have young children. And they come and they play in the park and they connect and they network. And subhanAllah, they just have a lot of fun. And they have a lot of discussions. And then, ironically, they come for Isha. 
even though the program is actually what's happening in the morning. Yes, please, continue. So, and then on to this point. So when we would offer a prize that is, uh-huh. you know, with a Q&A before the lecture, uh-huh. you would see you know, young students taking notes. So uh-huh. I immediately thought our mission our also had the school. So I went to one of the students and said, Mashallah, I'm very impressed you're actually taking notes. You know, is this a school-related project? Uh-huh. They said, no, I'm taking notes because I want to win that prize in case I get asked. So, <laughs> so although that might be their main goal, but side points, they're actually benefiting. But that's for the 16 to 24. And, and Michelle, you even have adults that want to win an iPad. No. So that's one of them. Uh, making surveys. No. Once we get them to that. Uh, the brainstorming ideas. Yes. No. So uh, we mentioned social activities, mm-hmm. having a game night. Uh, both for you know the brothers have theirs and then the sisters will have theirs. Yeah. And then when they gather there for the game nights, you know we give them a small five minute, ten minute reminder. Uh, so you have a huge crowd, and then you talk to them about specific. Type. Mm-hmm. I might agree or disagree with you on these on these solutions for that age group, but I, I respect the decision you guys have made on choosing these as your your solutions, Yani. And last last the last one. I'll give you the last one, inshallah. Go ahead, the last one. Now. Finding what their specific needs are. Uh-huh. Uh, let's say if, if we feel like there's a, a large group of, of people. Now. Now. Well, that's what was what surprised me right now, Jamaa. You all agreed. You all agreed that the young professionals, 24 to to 35, is missing. But when I asked you to give me solutions. I felt that your solution, although you gave the most maybe detailed you know, answer about the problem for that, with that age group, but you kind of like went a little bit off on your solution. It, it just, it just kind of like you threw me off. I was expecting much more sophisticated answers to that, that age group in particular. But I, you end up doing uh, the answer for that age group. But let's talk about this, inshallah, in details as we come to the next session. Before we take the break, I have the last, the last slide for you over here as a feedback from you. I want to now, regardless of the topic we discussed, bear with me, Jama'ah. Sheikh Muhammad, stay with me. So, as a feedback right now on what we did right now, regardless of the topic that we discussed, I want to hear from you in regard to the adult education and training about this experience that we had right now together. Let's talk about the audience. What did you guys learn about the audience, which is you? What did you learn about them? Yes, huh? They have experience. You're not the only one who knows what's going on. You can learn from other people. That's very important. Adults, they actually have come with experience, and you have to expect that. So when you talk, it's not just what you have. It's not your point. You need to, you need to kind of like humble yourself to expect other people to bring another expertise. Maybe disagreement. Maybe this or that. You have to accept that. That's one thing. What else? Yes. Easy to communicate when you have a social connection. You can, you can relate quickly once you know their names, their backgrounds, how much they know, which is why you had that icebreaker at the beginning. Because if you don't know them, you will be hesitant to say what you have because you kind of feel kind of awkward if they know or not. But now it makes it easier for you, yes. Diversity. They bring with them a lot of expertise from different again, age group, culture, subculture, and so on. You can benefit a lot from each other. Yes.
Absolutely. When you know that you have all these talents, can you imagine the outcome? This is basically a brainstorming session over here that can be just a brilliant asset for our communities. Imagine when you do this in your own masjid, which is your locality. So that's why we say network, networking. Now you know each other. You might invite one of them to come to your masjid to talk, probably, because they know something very unique. Okay, what else? Yes, you had something to say about the audience? Wonderful. What I really have noticed also about our audience usually, you need to understand that the artists, subhanAllah, mashallah, they have a lot of experience. They want to engage. We have the perception that the audience, when they come to attend our halaqah, they're very passive, which means they sit down and listen, and that's it. No, it's not. Even Jum'ah, when they have to, to be quiet, a lot of them, while you're giving the khutbah, they have the urgency of interrupting you probably. But they know if they do, they have to be quiet, so that's why they keep quiet. You need to expect outside of the khutbah, people they love to engage. So engage them. Make your program engaging people, like what we do over here right now. Also creative. You're not the only one who's smart in this, in this area. They are very creative. And the last one here, being active. They love to have active learning. Type. what about the educator? The educator, the one who's presenting. Forget it, just forget it's me. Anyone who's basically in adult education, what do you learn about the educator? You feeling shy to criticize? Or maybe compliment? Yes. Willing to listen? So you have to know that you need to listen as an educator more than just speaking. What else? Yes. Uh, he learns as well. I write. I take notes when you guys say something because I'm going to benefit from this tomorrow. So I'm learning with you as much as I'm actually helping you to learn right now. Yes. I think the, uh, we see the top of the paper. They visit the whole world to explore how people learn. <coughs> But somehow we are still limited to one or two models. Mm -hmm. So the more we diversify, mm -hmm. the more we. So our educators need to be diverse and also very expansive in terms of their experience. I agree with you. And also that, by the way, that also comes with the age factor as well. As we, we, we get older, we have visited a lot of activities, programs, experiences, and we share with that. We share people with, with these with people. Yes. Facilitates. No. Exactly. I'm just a facilitator. I'm not the only source of knowledge. You guys are the source of knowledge. I'm just a facilitator over here, so I only kind of like manage the, the talking, the learning experience for you. Yes? Uh, yes, there's two points. Uh, one is that you make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We can always learning. Even as a teacher, I make mistakes. I admit if I made mistake with anybody, I'm gonna have to actually learn as well too. Yes. Professional help, right? So when we when we think about you know something to train the trainer. Yes. I think we're qualified imams, we're qualified counselors, but we really are. Our experience, our knowledge is is, is at a basic level. And, and we tend to kind of train ourselves and learn from other savages versus getting someone professional to do what really needs to be done. As an imam, I don't have to do all the programs, but I would like to manage my resources. If I know someone expert in, let's say, civil rights issues, I'll bring them to speak. I don't have to speak. 
If I know the community needs some serious emotional counseling, I bring a counselor, I be on the side. So I need to use also all the resources that I have as well, which is something very important for us. Last point, inshallah, go ahead. The teacher being the expert on the subject matter. It's okay, but not necessarily the only expert. You have to expect yourself as an imam or a dai or a speaker that in the crowd there might be people who are much more knowledgeable than you. So therefore you benefit from them. You facilitate that knowledge to be transferred to other people. Let me give an example. I took a class, a master degree class in history as well. And actually when I used to study in El Paso, Texas. SubhanAllah, the, the teacher of our class, which was about transnational history, was the dean of history department of the school, the university. So he's the top guy in history in the area, in the school. And I was a student in that classroom. We were about maybe 20 students, or less than 20 students actually, maybe about 12 students, you could say. SubhanAllah, each session is four hours. One of the sessions about transnational history happens to be on Hajj. Hajj. Speak about Hajj, basically. So, and he's the dean of history, imagine. So when it was the, ter the, the time to speak about Hajj, he said, Hajj, guys, you need to understand, although I'm the dean of history, blah, 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 but, you know, Yasser, speaking about me, he goes, Yasser, he is an imam, he's Muslim, he knows Hajj more than I did. How many times you, you did Hajj, you visited Mecca? I said, I did that many years. At the time, it was five times. He said, five times. So he's more expert on the subject than me. Therefore, he's going to teach us today about Hajj and the transnational phenomena of Hajj. Here you go. He gave me the four hours. And I was just a student. But for him, I was a resource. And that's exactly as an imam what you need to do for your community. Who are your resources? You need to look, look into that, inshallah, wa ta'ala. The last, the, the last two things. Subject. What about the subject we discussed today? What do you guys think about the subject? Huh? Very important. Very important. It's the most critical subject for every mosque, but we cannot turn our eyes away because we don't know what to do with it. But it's real, it's relevant, right? What else? It's for that reason you guys are getting engaged. Because it's something, it's real. It's, uh, yeah, it, it is a problem for all of us. But if I'm going to always bring topics in my masjid for the halaqa, something that is kind of like not necessarily immediate need, your people would not come. You need to create immediate needs for people to come, and then as a supplement, you add the other programs and other activities. The last thing, teaching style. What we did right now about the teaching process, what did we learn? Yes. Skills. Structure. And how it was structured in terms of time-wise. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but you've been sitting down here for two hours. Did you notice that? Probably not. Because it was broken down to different segments, and you only thought of every segment as an independent session. Only to realize, oh my God, two hours? But you don't notice that. So this is how you structure it. But this is how you make people actually enjoy the programming. Also, it was more interesting, and it's two-way discussion. It's not just one-way lecturing, it's two-way discussion. Inshallah ta'ala, when we come back from 10 minutes break, I want you to go refresh, move around, make wudu. Inshallah, we're going to discuss how do adults learn. In the next session, inshallah, we will define what adult teaching is. It means the difference between teaching adults and children, the six main principles of teaching adults, the main methods of receiving knowledge, and how do you measure that the audience is learning. We're going to discuss that in the next session, inshallah ta'ala. 10 minutes break.
outcome after finishing these 17 slides, inshallah, we will be able to differentiate between teaching children, teaching adults, what's the big difference between them, and we'll learn the six main principles of adult education. There are six main uh, articles for adult education, the main methods of receiving knowledge, how do adults, how do people learn? How do we learn as human beings, specifically adults? And how, as a speaker, how would you measure if your audience learned or not? What is the outcome? We're going to discuss this, inshallah, the first thing is learning about the term itself. The term that we use for this, for this kind of field of knowledge is called andragogy. It's a kind of like weird name, but eventually that's how they, they design these names for these actually kind of sciences. It's called andragogy. Andragogy is about teaching adults. So we're going to learn how adults learn, what are the means of learning, and how we measure that, a learning experience, if it was successful or not, inshallah ta'ala. Andragogy, in the definition of the word andragogy, they say it's the science and art of teaching adults. So they use the term science and art. What's the difference? Science, that means it's actually, it's, it's experimental. Meaning you can experiment that, you can measure it, you can try it, and you have database to show that it's successful. The methods of teaching adults can be measured. The second thing is art. And what's the meaning of art? Creativity. So there is so much you could do with as a speaker yourself, because it goes back to your artistic mind. How can you be creative in designing the learning experience? But it's also measurable, which means you do have solid database you could use, solid you know, information, methodologies, and so on and so that you could use, and also have a lot of experience. You could use your experience an artistic mind to be creative in designing this. This is the main issue, like the main thing about adult education. How is it different? If you have the book, or not, one, of the, uh, one of the handouts, I don't know if you have actually received this, guys. Uh, it's, out, it's back in the back there, and, the, and those actually uh, uh, tables. If you haven't received it, it's there. So we have a whole print out for you that says principles of pedagogy or pedagogy versus andragogy. Uh, pedagogy or pedagogy is actually teaching children. And andragogy is teaching adults. What's the difference? Big difference. Big, big difference. So I'm going to just read a few, few of them for you. And you can read that, inshallah, at home. You know, and learn the difference between how adults learn and how children learn. In terms of children, children depend upon adults for material support, psychological support, and life management. They are other directed. That's why when you go to school, teachers, they keep saying, single file, come over here. Sit down here, time for recess, put your book down, blah, 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 blah. That's for children. You can do this with adults. You cannot do this with adults. Why? Because adults depend upon themselves. Adults expect to be treated like adults. And for material support and life management. They also, they also actually still meet, need some help with, uh, with psychological you know, influence and, and maybe support and so on. But still, they're considered self-directed. Yani our people, when they come to learn, they want to learn. Not like the children. We have to teach them. You can't force a, an adult to learn if he or she is blocking their mind and they don't want to learn. That's a big difference. Number two, children perceive one of their major roles in life to be that of a learner. As kids, they know themselves as what? Learner. They're going to spend a lot of time learning. They expect that. But adults, not necessarily. We expect ourselves to be doers. I mean, I don't have time to sit down and read a book. I'd rather watch a video or listen to a lecture while I'm driving. Why? Because I'd rather use my time for something much more practical. 
So we're more pragmatic. We, do, we want to do things instead of just, you know, learning and hearing things and so on. And that's why when we talk, when we, when we teach adults, we have to engage in activity. Um, children, to a large degree, learn, that, uh, uh, learn what they are told to learn. Kids, we tell them 1 plus 1 equals 2, they know. Khalas, 1 plus 1 equals 2. Adults, you tell them 1 plus 1 equals 2, they're going to say, why? They want to know why. Even if it's a fact, but they still want to be more active in learning, actually, in learning you know, the, the knowledge that they're receiving and so on. Um, now. Hold on. Please. I know this because of my experience. Now. Yes, yes. Please, now, they ask why. True. That's why. <laughs> why they're asking why? <laughs> I, because generations are actually, the, the generation gap is, is shrinking in terms of uh, uh, knowledge and age group. How is that? You know, Hadith al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I don't know one of the signs of the day of judgment, time shrinks. I never really understood what does it mean exactly. I never understood that. SubhanAllah, living in this, in this time, back in the days, when we used to say, back in the days, when was that? Maybe 20, 30 years ago, right? That was 20, 30 years ago. Every generation takes 20, 30 years, almost. Along with technology, and how much these kids actually get exposed to things we've never been exposed to from before, along the generation gap is shrinking. From 10 years to five years, even less than that. The other day, I was giving a presentation at college. So one of the kids came to me, and he said, you know, Sheikh, back in the days when I was in high school, and I'm like, how old are you exactly? Which, he's still in third or second year in college, and he's telling me back in the days in high school, we never had that, we never did that. But subhanAllah, I agree with you. The perception of why is changing because the younger generation right now is actually skipping phases. We're skipping phases right now, we're skipping, we don't walk after we skip right now. So that's why they need the why. Ah, yes. uh, but this is not only um, due to advanced technology and so on, because I don't know, I find the same issue with my two-year-old grandson. He was asking why. Everything he asked why. Maybe he's living with adults. Of course he is. <laughs> because, because in my case, I have a six-year-old daughter. And I, have, I have 18, 16, 14, and then six and a half years old. So the younger one, she grew up with teenagers and with all the young adults, you could say. She's already behaving like them. She likes to debate. And even with something, we'll be driving home and she's in the back seat. She doesn't even see where I'm going. But she just wants to ask, to do a debate with me. She goes, Baba, I don't think this is the way we go home. <laughs> and I'm like, Baba, no, that's the way to go home. She goes, no, I don't think so. And I'm just like, if I take this as a fact, I'm going to fight with her. But I know she just wants to engage in a conversation. That's why the culture has changed. The culture of the children is changing. So I definitely agree with you. Most of these, present, most of these statements might be theoretical, like I said. And they're subject to adaptation based on the culture, the generation, the time, the environment. So these are just for us to read, to see the perception. And we can definitely develop our own perception and theories about it based on our personal experience. I agree with you 100% on that. So I'm not going to actually spend much time on this because I want you to read it on your own, inshallah ta'ala. But I just want you to know one thing.
teaching adults is much different than teaching children. So whenever you design your program, make sure that you have on your mind the andragogy principles. And what are these principles? There are six principles. Six principles for teaching adults. If you understand them well, you will be able to design your program in the most effective way, inshallah wa ta'ala. What are they? Number one. And by the way, they might overlap for somebody. And you might see them overlapping. So it's okay, inshallah wa ta'ala. That's fine. Number one, they say adults have a self-concept of a self-directing personality. They learn based on their individual definition of who they are and the roles they play in life. Give an example. I teach women in my, my, in my masjid, and mashallah, every week we have about 100 sisters attend the programs. And these sisters, they come from different backgrounds, different age groups, different culture, and different subculture, you name it. They come from different active perspectives. I teach a certain subject. For instance, if I ask, if I ask a question, if actually, if I'm sorry, not asking, if I now present the subject of ghiba, backbiting, for example, what do you expect? What do you expect a question, a young lady who is between 25 to 34, what kind of question you predict she will ask? She's married. She's married. What question most likely she will be asked in regard to the subject of Riva? Yes. She might say, can we do it if it's true? Can we do it if it's true? Why? That's what women do. That's okay, but that's very general. But something, remember, they define themselves in a certain way. So when they ask their questions, they're based on what they perceive themselves in real, in real context. What could it be? Yes. Can I talk to my mom about, not just my mom, my friends about the problems I have with my husband? Would that be considered ghiba? So what is more specific that most young women, they have a problem with? I don't think this is what I'm doing is legal. I'm just telling you what happened. Basically, they would ask you, is it okay? If it is, they kind of ask the question like this. Sheikh, what is the ruling on speaking, you know, to someone else about your problems that you might have with family members, but you don't want to hurt their feelings and this and that and so on and so What do they mean by that? The mother-in-law. They're asking about the mother-in-law. This is a very common question every time we talk about ghiba in women's setting. Our lady of that age group would most likely talk about ask this question. Because that's how she defines herself, a daughter-in-law. But if you see someone, a lady, she, she is between 50 to 60 plus years old. What is her question on the subject? Huh? She would say, is it a lot, don't you think it's not right? For a woman, you know, for somebody to talk about other people, you know, uh, family members to others because it might cause fitna, blah, 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 blah. And she's talking about whom? Daughter-in-law. Subhanallah, the subject you're discussing is the exact same subject, but each woman, because of her age group, she actually defined the subject based on her personal context. Based on that, as a teacher, as an instructor, as an imam, whoever that you do when you come to learning, learn, teaching adults, you have to, to understand your audience. Who is it that comes to your class? Who are they? What do, how do they define themselves? And when people define themselves, they define themselves in many, many ways. Like what? How people define themselves? They define themselves in terms of goals. People define themselves in terms of goals. What do they want to achieve? We talked about the, young, the, the 24 to 35 years old age group, which is the professionals, right? Young professionals. 
they define themselves of being young professionals more than anything else. As a teacher, you need to be able to understand, recognize. Exactly. So you know that these people will learn based on the definition of themselves. Yani if someone defines himself to be religious first, young professional second, you're going to design the class to them differently. But if somebody is defining himself or herself as being young professional first, and then religious second, you're going to have to design it in a different way. Why? Because again, they will take the information you give them in a certain way. Which is why we have a problem with what, Jama'ah? What do we call it? Interpretation. You misunderstood me. No, I didn't mean that. Well, I know, but this is how people will define the ilm and the knowledge that you actually that you teach. So that's something we need to keep in mind, inshallah. Also, people define themselves uh, by trying to choose how to learn. Yeah, and most of these young professionals who don't come to our masajid, do you guys think they're not learning their deen? They do. But where? They go to Google. They watch videos. And if you ask them, they are already subscribed to some podcasts by Bayina, Maghrib Institute, this and that and so on. They listen probably to uh, uh, Sheikh Mink more than anybody else probably. So basically, these people, this young generation, that young particular group, wants to learn its own way. Also, when you have younger generations, there's something, they have an issue with that as well. And older generation, they want to learn a different way as well. Like they want to learn by teaching, for example. There are different ways of learning. People, they were also... Um, um, when they learn, they evaluate themselves in a certain way, based on how they define themselves. You know the story of the man who came praying behind Mu'ad radiallahu anhu, and Mu'ad, he prolonged the salah. He, got, he complained about, the, about him to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi What did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi told him? He says, what do you say in your salah anyway? I mean, he said, he said to the Prophet first, he said, Qala Rasulullah, what I do is basically, I, I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I praise Allah azza wa jalla, and I ask for the khair of the dunya and the akhirah, and that's it. And honestly, I don't understand, la afhamu dandanataka la dandanata mu'ad. You know, whatever that you hum, the humming of you and your mu'ad, ah, it's too much for me. The Prophet sallallahu said, what exactly you do? And he said, he told him then, hawlaha no dandan, me and mu'ad, we're just humming around it. Like, we're the same thing too. But what's the difference? The man defined himself as being what? Qal ya Rasulullah, we're Bedouins. We graze camels in the desert. We do that stuff and so on. So, I mean, this is too much for us. This is too much for us. But subhanAllah, sometimes as imams, that's what we do. We kind of like put everything down there. There's a story I learned from actually a priest. He said there was a, pe- a, pre- a pastor actually. A pastor, he said that, uh, or a priest, whatever. He was in a village. People, they didn't come to the church. So he started getting frustrated. One of those Sundays, he had only one person, one fallah, one, you know, those villagers coming and sitting there in the front and no one else in the, in the, in the church. So the, the priest, you could say that he was frustrated, he was kind of like upset, where are the people? So then this, uh, this, this guy, he said, he says, Father, you know, I don't, much, I don't know much about preaching and talking and da'wah and, and this and that and so on, but I know that I have cows in my field. So when, the, when, when I put the feeding, basically he says, I just put the feeding, even if one cow comes in, I'll just still feed it. So the, the man got motivated, the priest got motivated. So that teaching and preaching and teaching and preaching took forever. After some time, that villager, he got kind of interrupted, the, the, the priest, excuse me. He goes, yes, he goes, Father, you know, I don't understand much of what you're saying, this and that, and so, but I'm a villager, I'm a, I'm a farmer, and usually when I have one cow comes for feeding, I don't dump the whole hay down there, yeah. <laughs> 
Like, I put enough for it. Sometimes, as imams, we say that the halaqa is one hour. And we have to talk for an entire hour. But why? Is it because this is how you measure your program of success, that I have an hour to give a halaqa between Maghrib and Isha? What if only three people come? I've learned from Shaykh Al-Uthameen, rahimahullah ta'ala, that public events don't take more than 20-25 minutes of speaking, and the rest of it Q&A. But when he gives us specific classes for his students, we sit from the Maghrib until after Isha. Because that's a specific group of students that come to study. So we're going to have to actually to see how people define themselves in life, and then based on that, we start actually giving them these classes. Um, next, the second principle. Adults bring a wealth of experience to the learning process. We've seen that in this example, in this activity we had together, right? You guys, mashallah, you are great resource for the ummah. Wallahi. Imagine if each and every one of you just you know, shared that experience in writing in one platform. We will have an entire reservoir of experience that all can benefit from. Imagine. This can apply to each and every masjid, every setting of education that you give. If you ask people about their expertise, you will realize, wow, I have a wealth of expertise in one area, mashallah, that can change the world. Subhanallah. It can change the world. So people, they come with that experience. Don't expect to be the only expert in that field. And subhanallah, I've also learned that from our mashayikh too. From Shaykh al-Uthameen, rahimahullah ta'ala, every now and then, when there's a subject active, when he was talking about some community activities and this and that, he would ask the students, who is from that region? So one time they were talking about, at the time it was actually uh, uh, Central Asia. He asked who is from there. So we had people from Tajikistan and Kazakhstan. He asked them to get up and talk about the condition of the Muslims over there. He considered them to be experts. Instead of him talking about the condition of the Ummah there, let them talk about it. And wallahi, that was a humbling moment from a man of his age and his expertise and his ilm, subhanAllah. You learn a lot from that. So you have a lot of actual experience. Build on it. Meaning, make sure that you do so. Also, your audience, when they come, they come with that foundation. And that foundation, they need to build on top of it. You don't start from scratch. No, they need to actually start building on top of it. So you need to kind of like, you know, uh, uh, learn to start, first of all, testing the base knowledge of their audience. You start your class by asking, okay, what are you guys, uh, uh, how many of you have done this? Uh, what do you do this about that? How many of this? How many of that? So basically, you start with the base knowledge, and then based on that, you start designing the talk for that. Whether you do this as a survey before the entire program, or you do a question and answers right before you start the session, and then you start actually making that session afterwards. Um, one thing that we want to learn, actually, subhanAllah, and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa so the people are precious, like precious يعني, gemstones. They're very precious. Precious material. They are good in jahiliyyah, they become good in Islam. If they have the right understanding. Which means, you don't negate all their expertise. And the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he just the one who fought against the Prophet caused the, the casualties in Uhud and so on. So all these things, right? Seven years later, after the Hijrah, seven years, he, comes, he becomes Muslim. What did the Prophet call him when he came back from Muta? Sayyidullah. And he became a general. Why? Because, khalas, this is his expertise. 
He learns with the people through leadership position as well. Um, so when people have experience, what do you expect from them as an educator? To share, to challenge, to question you, to debate with you. You need to expect that. Uh, exactly. But if you're going to be speaking there and expect everybody to say, you dream about it. People, they need to learn by also sharing what they have and might sometimes challenge what you do, what you present. Be cool. Be okay, okay with that. Mean expect that. Don't be surprised when someone comes and says, listen, I, I don't agree with you on this. It's okay. If it's a matter of haqq and battle, yes, we will see where there are haqq and battle there. But as a matter of disagreement, we have the right to disagree with each other. So expect questions from them, not just them listening to you all the time. Respect their intellect. You don't come to, to the adults and speak to them like speaking to children. So you're going to have to respect their, actually, their intellect and their expertise as well. And speak the language, uh, uh, of course, of being equal to them and sharing with them. You're not going to talk to them like saying, you guys listen to me, blah, blah, blah. Instead you say, we, us, all of us, as imams, like our language that I'm using with you right now, I'm not using it actually just because I want to just you know, teach you that. It's because I do believe in it. I believe I'm not one of you, I'm not just like I'm on top of you, no, I'm one of you. I learn as much as also teach as well. And we're going to share the experience together, inshallah. So again, this principle number two, they have the knowledge, so they like to collaborate. They like to work together in teams. And that's why some of my, most of my teaching in my masjid requires workshop together. I don't know how many of you watch my social media and online. We do a lot of parenting workshop in our masjid because that's what people need in our masjid, subhanAllah, so we do that. And we have quite a good attendance, but we always begin with collaboration. They have to engage in activity, and then we start giving them the presentation like we do over here. Number three, the third principles of adult education. Adults come to the learning process ready to learn. They come with the need to learn. What does that mean? The difference between children and adults in terms of learning is that the motivation and the need to learn by adults is intrinsic. Yani it's an internal value. They don't need an external motivation for them to learn. Yani ihna, we always, I know that we always think that food brings the people to learn and this and that. You know, it's okay. Sometimes it works with many, many people. It works, it works with a lot of other group, age groups. But when someone of that age, critical age group we will be talking about, 25 to 34 and so on, so they want to learn, you don't have to bring food for them to learn. Because if they want it to learn, they need to know that they need it. The value of learning is there for them. So therefore, you need to make sure that you don't undermine that need yani by trivializing it. No, they come to learn, so when they come and tell, like for example, I was talking to Sheikh, one of the Mashaikh who actually believed left, uh, he said that uh, basically that he has his fiqh class, his specific, specialized fiqh class on Sunday after Fajr. I said, do they come? He said, yes, of course they come. I said, who comes? Those who want to learn, those who need to learn. If you do the same class after Maghrib, how many people will attend? Not much. But because they need to learn it, they come even if the time was difficult, but still for them it's critical time to learn. So, as a principle, I mean, subhanAllah, an example from the Quran to show us how, how adults, they have the need to learn. The example of Abasa wa Tawalla. When Abdullah ibn Umi Maktoum came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, why did he come to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? 
because he needs to learn. Even though the Prophet was busy, but he has the eagerness and he wants to learn from the source, from the Prophet Another hadith, the Prophet was given the khutbah on the member. A man comes in. قَالَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ رَجُلٌ يَسْأَلُ عَنْ دِينِهِ لَا يَدْرِي مَا دِينُهُ A man is asked about his deen. He has no idea what his deen is. The Prophet interrupted the khutbah. He came down. فَجِعَ لِلنَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ بِكُرْسِي قَالَ الرَّاوِي كَأَنَّ قَوَائِمَهُ حَدِيدٌ He says they brought him a steel, you know, chair, like frame made of steel. فَجَلَسَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ بِكُرْسِي قَالَ الرَّاوِي كَأَنَّ قَوَائِمَهُ حَدِيدٌ He says they brought him a steel, you know, chair, like frame made of steel. فَجَلَسَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ بِكُرْسِي قَالَ الرَّاوِي كَأَنَّ قَوَائِمَهُ حَدِيدٌ He says they brought him a steel, you know, chair, like frame made of steel. فَجَلَسَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى الل what do you guys think, based on this principle? Kind of a, before you go to that point, I was going to say, I, I kind of feel like it's the opposite of what you're saying. I'm not saying you're wrong. Um, I feel like they're both are arrogant, and they feel like they're already, already, so they won't come. Uh, I don't know if that's a huge opportunity. Absolutely. Of course we experience that. A lot of them, they think they know everything. But what is the problem? Me, as an educator, I'm not creating the true opportunity for them to learn. And whenever someone comes to me like with arrogance that they know everything and they would, subhanAllah, I have to create the opportunity and the need for them to learn it. And for example, marriage counseling. If there is anything that is so difficult for men to accept is to come for counseling. Because most men send their wife. No, you have the problem, you're going to talk to him if you want to. I'm not going to go for marriage counseling. It's, it's, it's ego issue, it's this and that and so on. So most of my clients are usually actually women. And women, they come to me and they say, but my husband doesn't want to come. I said, if you're interested, come. Let's talk together. Let's discuss this together, inshallah ta'ala. I guarantee you, he will, he will come. But alhamdulillah, I had a lot of success in that. Husbands, they don't come in the first few sessions. But the third, fourth, fifth session, the wife will say, you know what? Miracle happens. Husband's coming. One of the times, actually, I discussed that with a guy who came after four sessions with his wife. She said he would never come, subhanAllah. So I asked him, what changed your mind? He goes, I don't know what you've been telling her, but I want to let you know that it's working. <laughs> he said, therefore, I, I came to learn. I came to learn and see how, what exactly you've been telling her. I created the need for him to learn. One case that was high profile case, very high profile case. I don't want to mention the people, but very high profile case. The lady, she said, it's impossible. There is no way he, can, he would come to counseling. He would never accept that because of his status. I said, sure, never mind. You could come and come with me, inshallah, we discuss this together. So we had about three, four sessions with her. And one time, I remember checking my emails at night. And she, I read this email. I can feel that she was screaming while she's actually writing the email. Like, oh my God, he's coming. I don't believe it. It's a miracle. Just like this, typing all that stuff in an email. And the guy came. Why? Because the need to learn was created. Even with the most arrogant, egoistic person, if you create the right need, to learn, they will come. For example, the young guys you mentioned, they don't come, such as young adults who have children, young kids, and so on. Why don't they come? Because they're busy, scheduled, this and that, and so on, right? Guess what we did for them? We did some presentation, some program, some specific program, for them designed, only for them. Like what? The masjid provides professional babysitting service for four hours for a dinner, a, a, a basically a date night, you know, for your, with your spouse. 70 people signed up. They dropped their kids off. In the masjid, we have a professional baby care. Uh, we hired a whole staff of baby care professionals, actually, daycare staff in the masjid. They brought their things and so on and so on. 
And the, 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 these young parents, they drop off their kids. And they went out, actually, on a dinner date. And they came back to pick up their kids. But they spent a lot of time chit-chatting in the masjid lobby and outside the masjid and this and that and so on. So, and subhanAllah, was very relaxing. Another thing we did for them, story time. Story time. One of the sisters, she does a story time every week. And these ladies, they come with their babies. They come with their babies. When we do halaqat and programs, we have babysitting in every halaqa, every program that we have in the masjid. Professional babysitting for different ages. So the kids are actually being taken care of, and parents and men and women, they come and attend. If you provide the service that, bring, that makes these people busy from coming to the masjid, they will come. They say in adult, in leadership, they say, if you build it, they will come. So if we design the program for them in the right way, if we create the need for them to come, they will definitely come. So it's a matter of, you know, I agree, some of them, some of them not everybody, it's a, we cannot succeed with everybody. Let's put it this way. Guidance is not the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you. What is our job? Create the opportunity to be guided. We create the opportunity for them to be guided. That's all. Most of us as da'ayas, as imams, as speakers, we put so much effort in trying to guide people. But that is not my business. My business is only to create the opportunity for them to be guided. That's it. Guidance comes from the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. yes, a couple of weeks ago I read a research about the story for sleeping. And the, uh, the research they say uh, this formulate the, the personality of the person who makes the decision. Nah. So I think to build a young man or adult, you have to start with him when he is still young. Like the story for sleeping. True, but what if we come late in their life? That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create the need for them. We need to create the need for them to learn so they could come. Yes. teachers and dua and fuqaha when we teach people you know fiqh what do we do we don't have the stamina to continue for a long time because most of our audience you know kind of diminishes and fades out after some time so he says we always start bismillah we're going to start with fiqh class inshallah ta'ala starting with kitab al-tahara so we start with kitab al-tahara of course intentions and then al-tahara and then what do we do what do we study in the tahara uh, book the first thing we do what Al-Miyah, Anwa' Al-Miyah. We drown there, we never go out of it. Nagraq fi bab al-Miyah. Yaqul, then later on we start the class again. Okay, Tahara, we go back again from the beginning. And when we start Al-Miyah, and then we, we drown over there, we never come out of it, subhanAllah. For some reason, like you said, because it's repetition, people, they don't see the need. We as Imams, we see that people need to learn Tahara because when we go to the bathroom, it's a mess. And I agree with you. 
but we need to create the need for them to understand why is this so important. If for adults you can collect and connect the physical need to be Taha with the spiritual need, they will come. Like for example, Imam Ghazali ta'ala, he, he classifies Tahara in five stages. Taharatul his, Taharatul Badan, first of all. Thumma Taharatul Amal. Thumma Taharatul Qalb. Thumma Taharatul, what do you call it? Taharatul Al Khatar, Al Dhihn, Al Aql, Yani. Thumma Taharatul Al Zat, basically the essence. Yani, in the insan, yes, in the marhala, in the less of a fiku, hatta lama yara, amal Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fil dunya. When there's a disaster, a hurricane, something like that. As a believer, when you get to this level of purity, you see the wisdom of Allah in everything. Subhan, that level is so high. But you need to create that need so that they can come to learn about Taharatul Hiss. Very important. طيب, next, number four. The fourth principles of, of uh, uh, adult education and training. Adults are oriented towards immediate application of learned knowledge. What does that mean? If what you're teaching me right now is not practical, I don't know, man. I mean, what do I need this for? For sometimes, yeah, a tahara is practical. There is no doubt about it. But it depends on how you present that and how you do it and why they need to learn it that they need to come for. Uh, a lot of people, they have, like we said, the most immediate for us right now is marriage counseling. Child, child subhanAllah, uh, issues and, and parenting. And all. This is the immediate, immediate things we need for that particular group, for example. Other groups had also their own issues. Like, for example, when we have seniors in our community, seniors who pass 50 plus years old right now, and they move on and they're retirees. So, in this case, what do we do for them? What are the programs that we have for them? What do they need from us? In our masjid in Valley Ranch, we have created a group or a club. We call it the Golden Club. The Golden Club is for seniors. And guess what do we do there? They have actually a monthly meeting where they come to eat. They basically the dinner, actually we serve dinner over there, and there's a speech. What kind of speech is that? Speakers, they come and they talk about things related to seniors, such as health issues, spiritual issues. When I teach them a class, I teach a class about Salah and Tahara that is relevant to them. At that age, how do they make Tahara if they have these issues and this and subhanAllah? So, Basically, they come and mashallah, they enjoy it. They come and they enjoy it. Also, we have the parents who are in their 40s plus. Those parents, for example, they need to deal with youth. They need to deal with their, with their, uh, with their teenagers. So we have another program in our magic. We call it Parents Support Group. In addition to the parenting classes that I give, there's a Parents Support Group, supervised by another brother, who is only just there to bring the parents so they could learn how to handle their kids and issues and so on. Basically, we look what people need, we create that need for them, and we design the program based on that. And if you build it, they will come. Father Sheikh Muhammad. Just with regards to the uh, senior program, uh, I remember we did it two or three years ago, and it was successful for a while, and it was told them, and then when we tried to do it again, So guess who's the facilitator for us at the Golden Club? 
one of them. Now, so the respected general for that, yani. So as part of transportation, an interesting thing I saw in a masjid in Seattle, mashallah. Guess what they have? They have two shuttles. They bought two shuttles for Salat al-Jum'ah and the activities. When they have seniors, they take the shuttles to go and pick up these seniors from their home. Subhanallah. Amazing idea. Wallah, I was surprised. I was, I was so impressed. Subhanallah. <laughs> Who drives it? I don't know. But I know they have two shuttles to bring these adults, mashallah, to come to these classes. Right, so we know right now that adults, they need something practical and less abstract. Yani our Ibn Jama'ah, let me give you this. Even when you teach them Aqeedah, even when you teach them Aqeedah, for example, you want to teach, you want to teach a class on Asma'ullah al-Husna. Asma'ullah al-Husna. There's a difference between discussing Asma'ullah al-Husna from a theological perspective and debates between Al-Sunnah, Al-Athar, wa ghayrum, wa kada and the application of Asma'ullah al-Husna in my life. Yani the best example I give you for the application is Umm al-Mu'min Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. Umm al-Mu'min Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha qalat qala Allahu tabarak wa ta'ala tabarak wa ta'ala qad sami'a Allahu qawla lati tujadiluka fi zawjiha wa tashtaki ila Allah. Wallahu yasma'u tahawarakuma. Yani qalat fi hadhi al-aya subhanallah taqul subhana man sami'a man wasi'a sam'ahu al-aswat. She says praise be to Allah azza wa jal. Who's hearing in a way that suits his majesty, subhanahu wa ta'ala, that can encompass all these, all these sounds and all these voices and so on. And then she madaqat, qalat, wallahi, inni fi lafi tarafil ghurfa. I'm in the corner of the, of the room. When the lady was talking to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi I couldn't catch everything she was saying. But Allah says, qad sami'a Allah, qad sami'a Allah. So Allah, when you teach the adults how to apply these names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala into their lives in a way that is spiritual, it is more effective than just debating the meaning and that. And that. So you have to. Also, doesn't mean you don't teach them the theological aspects of it, but the focus on what they need the most. For example, which age group most likely would be entertained and would be much more interested in learning the theological aspects of Asma'ala al-Husna? Which age group? College, the younger ones, exactly. But the older ones, like in the 40s and up, they want the spiritual aspect of it. They need that. So that's something we could, we could look into. It. Even the most theoretical or abstract subject you can think of, it can still be practical if you design it in a way to have an immediate effect, an immediate application in their lives. Taib. Number five. Adults need to know the reason for learning something. It has to be individually concerning them. What does that mean? Like, I'm giving you adult education and training, right? Each one of you come from a different background, different expertise, different, you know, uh, job, and so, and so and so. Each one of you right now is focusing on a different level with me. Some of you are paying attention very well, and they're taking notes. And some of you are just being entertained with what we're talking about. Why is that? Because some of you are more attached to learning, I mean, to teaching adults than adults. So here, people, they need to know why they're learning this for. So if you cannot concern the people with, every, with that particular subject as individuals, what they need that for, you will lose a lot of them. Like on the khutbah, for example. On the khutbah. يعني الكلام على الصلاة مثلا. الكلام على الصلاة. تبدأ الخطبة بالكلام على الصلاة. أهمية الصلاة. How can I concern the people about Salah? 
you have to let them know that, do you, do you know or don't you know that the first question on the Day of Judgment will be about Salah? It doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter how much you do. It doesn't matter how much this. The first question that Allah will ask you about will be about your Salah. Now, suddenly, everybody knows it's my concern right now. You have to try your best in making whatever subject you teach very relevant to each age group. And sometimes, you're going to have to diversify that as we talk. Inshallah, when we discuss this in details at the end of the seminar, inshallah, we have a whole session on how to make your presentation most effective, inshallah. Taib, number six. I'm trying to kind of like move faster, inshallah, we cover the whole material in the right time. Adults are driven by intrinsic motivation to learn. They need to be motivated and inspired. They need to be motivated and inspired. Which means, stop worrying about bringing external factors. Like some, we, we have some example suggestions, you know, let's have a basketball in a tournament, let's bring videos, let's bring this, let's bring that, all that stuff and so on. You know what? It doesn't have to be that way. Yani, for example, with these young adults, you guess what I do, personally. Instead of me doing a basketball tournament in the masjid to bring them in, I go and play with them, play basketball with them on Saturday and Sunday morning at the gym. 24 fitness, not even actually the masjid gym. I go and play with them. And then when we take a break, we sit down, we start talking and chit-chatting and do the guidance part, or at least the invitation part in that time. You see, the Prophet never brought the Sahaba to sit down and give a haraq. Even when they were doing, when they were waiting to dig the grave of an individual who died and passed away, the Prophet gave them the hadith that we all now know that's the journey of the soul. He was just sitting there. Then he starts saying, you know the ruh, the soul, when it comes out, it comes out like this. It wasn't even prepared out in class or lecture. It just happened. So we need to understand people willing to learn. They're around the Prophet to learn something. When he said something, they will learn. So sometimes, when I sit with people in a most casual setting, I make my talk an opportunity for them to listen and learn. So, it doesn't have to be with external motivation, but you need to create that need again for them to be motivated, inshallah. One last thing, actually, before I forget about number five, forget to mention something, is that uh, because people, they need to know the reason why they're learning, yani, Simply put like this, every individual who's sitting in, the, in your masjid for khutbat al-jum'ah or the class or the halak or the program, the question that is on their mind is what, why do I need to listen to you? That is the question they have in their mind. Because when they come to jum'ah, what do they come to jum'ah for? To fulfill the obligation and move on, that's it. So basically, they're coming for the, no, they come, they come for Jum'ah, the majority, the vast majority, let's put it this way. They only come to do the fard and move on. Yani ibra'i dhimma, faqat. Right? That's most of the people come for Jum'ah. So therefore, for me, as a khatib, I want to convince the people that they need to listen to me. That's where the brilliant part comes. And the last part of our presentation will be about this. How you convince the audience to listen to you when you talk to them. Continue now. now. Yes, Fadal. Yes. Uh, I find it's very challenging. It is very challenging. Because it's not tangible. And everybody has their own intrinsic motivation. So what do I do then? As a speaker, I need to make sure that when I design my program, I try to meet the intrinsic values of different age groups. In the following part of the class, inshallah, or the presentation, we will talk about the different age groups and what motivates them. So we're going to design that, inshallah. Yes. Fadal. Uh, 
two lines will be filled usually in the most massage, right? When I come on the member in my masjid, I have Sheikh Omar Suleiman, also my actual assistant imam in the masjid as well, a resident scholar, alhamdulillah. So when we come on the member, the masjid will be half full, not just two lines. But why is that? Because they know if they don't come at the beginning of our khutbah, they'll miss a lot. Because the beginning of our khutbah, is very inspirational, very motivational, that they don't want to miss it from the beginning. So they come. So, as I said, as a speaker, I need to be convincing to these people that it's worth coming early to listen to me. Being an Imam, I understand they should obey Allah Azza the eye is clear, this and that, but I also need to create the opportunities for them to practice it in the right way possible. So, how do we do that? This is the presentation. Towards the end, I have, inshallah, the ABCDFG style and how to make your, your, your khutbah, your speech, your khatira most effective that people will start coming as early as possible so they don't want to miss part of it. So we're going to discuss that, inshallah. Yes. So I want to ask about the times, inshallah, you have mixed audiences. So how do you uh, balance that with adults, people from different backgrounds, different ages, different, you know, age group and so on. So how can I connect in one presentation with extremely, extremely diverse crowd? How is that? People, they have different ways of learning. Some are visual, some are auditory learners, and some are kinesthetic and tactile. So visuals, meaning they learn by observing. They like to watch. They like to read, probably. Some people know, they don't like to watch or, or they, lead, they like to, to listen. So they are listeners, so therefore they just sit down, they don't actually take notes, they only just listen. Some other people know, if they don't take notes, they don't, they don't, do, they don't, much, they don't learn much. So therefore you need to provide them for, with the uh, handouts and this and that, all these kind of things. So basically the point is, people they learn differently. Let's talk about this in details a little bit inshallah ta'ala. In terms of visuals. The most active method of learning is actually is al-basar, the most active. However, it's the least that leaves, leaves, actually that leaves impact for the long term. And those who watch videos, in that moment of watching the video, you're just like, wow. But then ask them later about the video, they will forget. Subhanallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ماذا قال جمع قال اقرأ. النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم صح ولا لا؟ وكذلك الله سبحانه وتعالى يقول في يعني فيما يتعلق ب how do we learn as human beings says والله أخرجكم من بطون أمهاتكم ماذا قال؟ لا تعلمون شيء it is he سبحانه وتعالى who brought you out of the wombs of your mothers no absolutely nothing لا تعلمون شيء ثم قال 
Photographic memory, there you go. They like to hold and, and just kind of like look at it and memorizing it. And therefore, basically, they, they always look at it. That's why they, they say, if you're going to memorize the Quran, keep one single copy so that you always have the same pattern and so on. So some people, they're actually visuals. Now, as an imam, I'll come to you, inshallah ta'ala. As an imam, as a da'ya, as a speaker, how can I use a khutbah, a lecture that has no video, no visual aids, but still help people learn visually. How do I do that? Hand gestures, expressions, body movement. When you talk, the khatib stands like this. Inna alhamdulillah, I will have the urgency to pull my phone out. But when I began my khutbah, Inna alhamdulillah, nahmadu wa nasta'i wa nasta'gfiru, wa na'udu billahi min shura anfusina wa sayyati a'malina. I'm already engaged. I'm engaging everybody by looking at them. Like I remember we, taught, we were taught in Medina, in Medina University, we were taught the khatab al-style, say al-khatib yanbaghi an yandur ila al-amam wa la yandur ila ahad. That the khatib should always look straight, don't look at anybody. Like don't have eye contact. Like that doesn't work today anymore. People they need to have eye contact regularly. Instead of just keep looking like this. When Yahmil Mahu Saifan or Asan or Kada, hold out the sword or the it doesn't work like this anymore. So we have to make sure that we do engage people visually by being active on the member. I'm not asking you to act, meaning making a, a, a show, yani. but at least being active, khatib, active speaker, you know, have the hand gestures and so on. The other thing, how do you create an image without even giving them a video to watch? Using the words. Create that mental image. How is that said? Tasawwar. Imagine. Can you see? You see the words, can you see? Can you imagine? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يعني ذكر هذا في القرآن كثير. تبصرون, وذكر تعقلون, وذكر تسمعون. لأنه كل هذا حسب ما يتعلم الناس. How people learn, listen, imagine, process. So you need to create a mental image by using different words. Imagine with me. Can you see? I want you to see this with me. Let's have a look at that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala قال انظروا فلينظروا Always look, look, look. So that's very important as a khatib, as a speaker. You need to engage people. So some people, specifically those people who might, yani be lo they love to imagine, you have to use the words imagine and so on. حتى الجنة رب العباد سبحانه وتعالى ماذا قال جماعة؟ صورها في القرآن كأنك تراها. يعني لم يقل حمد الله رضي الله تعالى قال يا رسول الله 
نكون عندك فنسمع منك حتى كان نرى الجنة والنار رأي عين May we come to you, we be around you and then we hear from you like we see the Jannah and Nara Ya'in. Look how brilliant the Prophet ﷺ was in creating a mental image for these people. For the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala. The second way people they learn is auditory, which means listening. And we typically, basically when we listen, like I said, it's very important when you listen. Obviously listening, basically a lot of people they like to do that while they just kind of like watch in a khatib or that's it, listen. They drive, they want to listen. They don't want to take any action. They want to be engaged in anything. They want to just listen because for them, they just love to have this, this uh, you could say, يعني, passive way of learning, which is most what most people actually they do. Even in, your, in a class like this right now, you're listening to me, right? So when you talk to people, also bring the words such as, hear this. Let's hear that. Let's hear what Allah says in the Quran. Listen to this with me. So the word listening is actually something people they like to have. Uh, not everybody in the, when you're uh, giving a khutbah, not everybody is seeing you. Maybe especially sisters. Well, some of the things you're saying are relevant, but... Uh, it is relevant. It is relevant because the sisters are actually more in the community than the guys. When we have programs, more sisters would come, you know, and, than the guys, subhanAllah. So you have to give them that visual also, and in our, I don't know about your masjid, but in our masjid, the men's section, the women's section is not completely يعني, separate from the men's section. So there is actually, there is, they have access to, so you could see. And when we have programs, the main musalla is open for both men and women to come in. We leave, of course, some barriers for ladies who would like to be يعني, in the conservative side of the, of the crowd, so they can stay there. But eventually, they have access visually to the speakers, to the program, to the activity. They feel actually as part of it as well. Yeah. Uh, as Allah I started with the visuals because it's a wrong perception. Because people think visually is what, how people learn the most. And that's why I said at the beginning here, the most active method of learning is visual learning, but it leaves the least long-term learning experience. And a lot of people, they think, no, 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 I'd like to watch, I'd like to actually have a video. But I tell them, yes, you're going to enjoy watching the video or the clip, but it doesn't leave impact on you. What do people do these days to actually to learn? They use right now the shortest possible video. Vines, Snapchat, and they call them now fatwas, whatever they call them, like snapwas, like fatwas on Snapchat. SubhanAllah, people, they want the 10 seconds fatwa and move on. But that's not knowledge. I have a whole active presentation on how the social media has ruined seeking knowledge. It's completely ruined it. Because people who learn and go to Snapchat, they think they, lo- they learn a lot, but they don't learn much. They only know, but they don't necessarily learn. That's the problem, man. Yes. All right. I can see. I think it's a very one of the middle professor way to speak something really important. Yes. Because I learned from school that says something as individual is for soul. Nah. That's true. And now they say maybe you better than a thousand pictures. Yes, that's true. Generally, the highest. People in education nah. on, the, on the 
we can get, we know all of us we can share. Uh, if you like something, you will your thumb up. Yeah. If you said, because the, the people want to feel the sense, so the emojis basically were created for, for those who are visual. Nah, true. And that's exactly what you need to do as a khatib, as a speaker, as a teacher, or whatever that you do. Whenever you talk, you need to help those who are visually oriented learners by being yourself active, moving, always changing, and so on. Also, uh, by using the words that would motivate and stimulate their visual learning processing and so on, you have to do that. Same thing with the audio. The way you speak as a khatib, if you always speak monotone, you're going to fall asleep. I mean, as a khatib, I'm a khatib. I'm a graduate from Medina. And alhamdulillah, da'i, and as a public speaker, I sit in some khutbas sometimes, and I just like, wallahi, I would feel the urgency of pulling my phone out. To that extent, because the khatib is not connecting with me. It's not just, she's just kind of speaking way different than what we're supposed to be. You need, we need to, as a khatib, we need to always be like that. Like I said, you have 25 minutes khutbah, you design it in a way that you always keep the audience active in many, many ways. Fadl. Uh, just a, a visual, can you give me like one in terms of PowerPoints? Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen from you, I know you, I see your PowerPoint, but I've been told that you're not supposed to put a lot of words on PowerPoint. No. Nah. Some people have said like six words to the limit on the line. Do yeah. you have some general rules for that? That's a whole different presentation. Not in this presentation. Because I can't give the details on everything. Because even, see this one? This book over here, the instructional design. This one here. That's about actually how you design everything. Design a program, an activity, a seminar. Even they speak about how to design the room, how to design the, 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 all that stuff and so on. Also this book here, the exceptional presenter. It also gives you actually tips on how to do that stuff. So what do you notice about my presentation over here so far? One thing very important, you might not pay attention to it, but it's in self subconscious that is making it actually very easy for you to follow with me. What is it? The page number. You realize the progress? Because I know adults, they love benchmark achievements. So when you realize what, oh, 12 out of 100, five more my slides. You realize that we're coming there. That's exactly the point, the point of it. Also, if you notice the, every part that before we start, we have what? A summary of it. I'm setting the expectation for you, what you're going to learn. And when we're done, you're going to see if that expectation was met or not. So basically, you put it in a certain way, in a subconscious. And as I'm speaking, you're subconsciously learning something else that actually intended in the presentation. But it doesn't necessarily spoken in the presentation. So I, 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 that's stuff that I didn't mention here because I don't have time to ask, talk about actually the design of that thing and so on. There's also another book I would recommend for you. It's about, um, I didn't bring it with me, subhanAllah. I forgot even the title of it. But it's, uh, the, it's about designing, you know, when you design uh, a PowerPoint. How do you design a PowerPoint or a poster or something like that? It's more of like a graphic design, but as a khatib, as an imam, I don't need that much. But I need this for entertainment to learn when I make something, I make it very properly. Can you allow me just to take one more, inshallah, comment so we can move on quickly? Yes, please.
part five, inshallah ta'ala, we have a whole section on how to, to put the presentation. And your point is going to be there, inshallah ta'ala, as one of the main actually active yani, moments of your presentation. How to share stories with people. You know what the stories that people, they love the most? What stories do you think they love the most? Your personal stories. Like people, they come to you after the khutbah, they say, Masha, that was amazing khutbah. And I would say, so what was, what was the most interesting thing about it? They go, you know what that story when, you, when the guy told you this and that and so on and so They remember your personal stories. Some, of course, of course, obviously. Of course, it, it is related to the subject, of course. It's besides when some people, they give a long khutbah, and then they don't pay attention to what you were saying because they were not paying attention. So they come to you and say, wow, that was amazing, a khutbah. So what was it about? They said, it was about 30 minutes. So, <laughs> They only remember the time, they don't remember the content. Allow me just to move a little bit, inshallah, then I'll come back to you, inshallah ta'ala. So, because we have 20 minutes before we take a break for lunch and dhuhr, inshallah. Uh, so, then we have those who learn through basically hands-on experience. Kinesthetic, tactile learners. They love to write, they love to take notes, they love to put their, their, their hands in the mud, basically. Why people, they learn like that. So these people, you take them to practice with them, whatever that you do. Whether it's a da'wah program, you go with them on the field, go and feed the homeless, uh, 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 retreat, you take them to a, a camp activity, whatever that is, through activities. People like to read, they like to grab a hard copy of the material, like to take notes, some learn through practicing hand experience and so on. You need to also do that as well. So, if you give a talk, what would be the point that you are going to use to give this, these people the opportunity to learn? Action items. You give them action items. Like, therefore, today, before you go home, inshallah, I want each and every one of you to go and blah, do something like that. Call. Uh, buy this book. Uh, say salam to somebody else. This and that and so on and so on. All these kind of things. SubhanAllah, just to give you an idea on how do we do things in our masajid as well. In my mazal, alhamdulillah, we set the tone for Dallas Fort Worth, yani, alhamdulillah, in terms of activities. We're very proud of people, they say, like Valerant does, for example, alhamdulillah. So one of the things we started is how to socialize in the community in a very simple way. Every now and then, every few weeks, I ask people after Isha to shake hands with each other and get to know each other by name. And we give them one or two minutes to get to know for a few minutes, and then we start the khatira. SubhanAllah, by then now, people, they knew a lot of people. Also, we, every, time, every time a new, a new member of the community moves into the area, we highlight them, which means we ask the brothers to, move, to stand up. This brother, what's your name, Akhi? Fulani, Fulani, where are you from? Where did you move from? From this and that, blah, blah, blah. Ask the people next to them, get up, give them a big hug, this and that. They feel welcome right away. We get them engaged because, again, that's a learning experience. That's practice right now. So they learn to be kind to be natural. And subhanAllah, a lot of people, when they come to our masjid, they say, mashallah, it's very friendly, even if I'm not there. Why? Because people, they learn, and they practice on their own. So that's something very crucial. Well, the larger the community, the harder it is. You know why? Because there's a rule in communities called the 150 people rule. The 150 people rule is the maximum number where you can have a solid foundation in the community. People, are, that's scientifically speaking, we can only remember as far as 150 people. More than that, we get lost. That's why the Amish, every time the group gets bigger, they split the village. Because they want to actually have less than 150 or 140. Some companies do the same thing too. Every plant, 
They don't have a plant that has 2,000 workers. They have smaller plants, each one of them maximum to 150. Because in this case, everybody would know everybody else. So that's something we should create, and that's what we do in our community. It's growing bigger right now. So we try to create circles. I don't want to call them clicks, but when, see, when you see people, how people start creating patterns, you develop on these patterns. And you start making these as a group. How do we get that from? There's a rule, actually, there was a, a, a I remember a university or a school, what they did, the brilliant way, when they were constructing the roads and the blocks and everything, before they built the pedestrian uh, concrete path, what they did, they left it dirt. And they waited for a few weeks. And they saw how students walk, the patterns of their walking. By, so when they saw the dirt basically being any, how it was used by the students already, they realized this is the most convenient pedestrian path. And they built the concrete on top of it. That's a smart way. Same thing in our massage, we try to do something like this. We see what people do, how do we do things, who are the people in the certain circles, we create a subgroup over here. So we can always have connection with each other, and there's a leader in each group, almost you could say, that we connect with one another. Next, evidence of learning. How do you know that what you said, what you did with the people was effective? Three areas. Three areas. Change needs to happen in one of three areas as an evidence of the learning experience happening. Of course, the perfect learning experience is what? All of them. What are these areas? Number one, cognitive, perception, principles, perception. Number two, emotional, feeling, attachment. Number three, behavioral, the behavior, the practice. So let's explain that a little bit in more detail. Cognitive. What does it mean? If the mental state or the rational material changed in the mind of that learner, you are succeeding. Like what? The learning experience has to result in change in a perception of things. Someone comes to your class believing that you're Mubtada. You're an innovator. If he comes out of that class and says, MashaAllah, he's on the Sunnah. I succeeded, right? Because I changed his perception of it, for example. That's just a radical example. I don't take it seriously. But I'm saying something like that. When it comes to the issue of adult education training, some of you may have come to this class skeptical. But now after the first example or first session, after the second, it's just like, wow, that's interesting. That's success. Learning is happening right now. But I need more than just the rational or cognitive aspects of learning. Forming new ideas and removing old ones. When it comes to husband and wife, people, they come to me about, you know, counseling. Counseling is also education, by the way. So when a husband and wife come to me, the husband is set on his ways. No way, she's wrong. So what do I do? I have to approach him in a way that is very effective, that would help him see things differently. Suddenly he realized, okay, so there is value in counseling. Alhamdulillah, that's success. Okay, there is value to pay for counseling. Suddenly now the economics, no problem anymore. Because there is value for him in it. And then, they now they remove old ideas and they're willing to put you know, new ideas. Here's now an issue with that. Why people don't change easily? Why people don't change easily? As adults, yani we have two parts of the brain. We have the conscious part and the subconscious part. When I'm speaking to you right now, I'm speaking to which part of Jama'a? The conscious part. Okay, the conscious part is, holds the, the short-term memory. 
But your subconscious has your archives, all your experiences, all your biases, all your belief system, all your prejudice, whatever that is, everything is there. Whatever I say, even if it's very interesting, if, if you don't open the gate between the subconscious and the conscious to seep into the subconscious to become permanent, it will leave right away. It wouldn't live in a chance. But how do I keep it there in the, in, the, in the subconscious, in the archive? Repetition, over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. That's how it works. I'll give an example. One time I gave a presentation for about eight hours, the same thing, about Islamic education in school, Islamic schools and so on. The, the, the staff actually was 300 plus staff members, teachers of Islamic schools and so on and so on. After the presentation, a lot of people, they came to me, that was amazing, Jazakallah khair, that's so interesting, what else can I do, reading this, and looking for resources. There was somebody who was standing on the side. When I was starting to cut to talk, he came to me, he goes, you know, I just want to say something. I said, please. He goes, well, that was very interesting. But it doesn't work in my classroom. Because I know my students more than you. I said, Jazakallah khair, Assalamu alaikum. What happened with this guy? He learned absolutely nothing. Because it didn't open between the conscious and the subconscious. His subconscious overrides the conscious right away. So as an imam, a da'ya, speaker, whatever that you do, in order to allow people to start making change, you have to create the environment that would allow them to open the barrier. What is that environment? Safety. If people need anything, they need safety. They need certainty. That if I open, if I, if I cross the bridge, am I going to be okay on the other side? Like a man when he comes to counseling. He needs to know that if I listen to you going the other side, I'm going to be safe. My wife is not going to actually, I'm going to take over, blah, blah. So you have to create that sense of safety and certainty in a way to allow them to open up so they can actually have that positive change in their life. That's the first thing we need to know. Yes. Cognitive is the whole Idrak. Idrak is the Idrak is the Number three, the way of thinking about certain matters or subject change, we'll cover that point. The second thing we have here is the emotional change. Your attachment to something changes, positively or negatively. So here we have how you feel about a certain subject or topic. A lot of us, Alhamdulillah, we love the son of the Prophet We're strongholders of the son of the Prophet There's no doubt about it. However, we have some issues with how we present it, how we hold it, how we deal with people, subhanAllah. So sometimes our attachment to the meaning of the sunnah should change from being strict on textual yani matters to an actual behavioral issue. Because the son of the Prophet is in the akhlaq more than anything else. So when you start having certain attachment to certain, it becomes easy. I remember when I was actually young in school, in college, subhanAllah, I don't know how many of you, but back in the 1990s, there was a huge fitna among the ulama and the mashayikh, and they started attacking each other, criticizing each other. I was one of those kids who just, I was so much attached to one of my teachers, and I couldn't allow people to attack him and criticize him, so I was always defending him, subhanAllah. At some point, I had a conversation with one of my yani, senior, uh, uh, yani, I would say teachers, you could say, he gave me an advice, subhanahu wa ta'ala, that was a moment of learning for me. He said, listen to me, the shaykh is still alive. If he wants to defend himself, you have done it. But he's silent for a reason. He said, so try not to be his advocate in that fashion. Wallahi, I learned that. I said, I've, since then, I've never tried to be, you know, like, so stubborn and so fanatic about someone in particular. Besides, I learned, I learned 
فاستيمنوا بن عباس رضي الله تعالى عنه استنوا بمن مات فإن الحي لا لا تؤمن عليه الفتنة. If you're going to follow somebody, follow someone who's already dead. Because those who are alive, not safe from the fitna yet. And that was a great lesson, subhanAllah. And suddenly the emotional attachment changed from being absolute to being more objective. And that is easy to, to start you know, changing things. Yes, please. How can we explain the emotion, the What you're asking about is how can you be safe, how can you be authentic versus non-authentic. You know the feeling of hypocrisy and nifaq? That's what it is. You know? Absolutely. And, and why, why are we getting nifaq, for feeling nifaq from? We're getting the feeling of nifaq from, from this. I believe in something, but I'm not doing it. So the behavior is not there. The value is there. The behavior is not there. What happens in between? Feeling of guilt. And you become hypocritical. Like Handala radiallahu ta'ala, when he said, Nafaqa Handala. Abu Bakr said, Mah, what do you say? He said, I'm going to be with the Messenger of Allah, and I'm going to be with فإذا فارقناه وعافسنا الأولاد والأزواج نسينا كثيرا. Like he said to Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم يعني we listen to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم like we see الجنة النار. But then when we go home it's just like uh, we forget or become like hypocrites. That's exactly what it is. So our job the entire life that we live in this world is about being authentic and genuine. Sabr is emotion and practice. Anger is emotion. But acting angrily is a behavior. Because you believe that anger is a way of venting, and you have the right to be angry. So that's a belief system. So it's, it's an intertwine, and that's what I said. If the change happens in the three, it's perfect. That's genuine. But sometimes the change happens in one area. It's not perfect, but it's still a progress, you could say. So here again, for the emotional aspect, how people, they have this, and you need to, as a teacher, to try your best to emotionalize the experience. And by the way, People memorize things if they're being emotionalized for them. That's what the Prophet ﷺ, he said about the Qur'an. If you couldn't, what did he say? Tabaku. Like, try your best. Because when you emotionalize it, subhanAllah, it's hold more tight. Ulama and mashaykh. You've dealt with a lot of ulama and mashaykh. Probably if I ask you what your shaykh said to you 20 years ago about this matter, you say, I have no idea. But you know one thing that he made you feel great. Like one time, I remember the first week of my school in Medina University. What changed me, subhanAllah, made me so much, alhamdulillah, and he did a lot in Medina University to the extent I became a valedictorian, wallahi. The first experience I had with Shaykh al-Shanqiti, hafadahullah ta'ala, I was so disturbed because I didn't know which school should I take, Sharia, Hadith, Quran, this and that. And they gave me until next, because it's Friday, so the next day, Saturday, was the first day of school there, you need to decide, otherwise they're going to randomly select a, 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 a faculty for you. And I wanted to go to Hadith, and some people that says go Sharia, this and that, subhanAllah. So I see him in Masjid Nabi as we were leaving, among the crowd. You can tell my Masjid, thousands of people. Allah subhanAllah brought Shaykh Shanqidi to my left side over there. I see him, I said, oh, Shaykh, I should ask him. And then the shaitan comes, uh, who, who are you even to ask the Shaykh? Is he going to be paying attention to you or not? So I said, uh, forget it. As I was walked a little bit more, 
somebody bump, bump into my shoulder. I look. Tabarakallah. Sheikh Shankiti. Immediately I said, Salaam alaikum, Sheikh. Salaam alaikum, Salaam. Said, Can I ask a question? He goes, Yes, please. So I said, Sheikh, I'm a new student. I came to Medina. My situation is, I want to choose my faculty. So he said, Mashallah, give me the advice. Okay, you choose this, you choose this. He gave me the advice. And then as we were start putting our shoes and sandals outside of the door of the Masjid Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, where are you going? Are you going to the buses? Uh, or the, the bus station of the, for the students? I said, yes, yes, sir. His house is on the, side, on the other side as well. He goes, okay, come with me. He held my hand and we kept walking for about 15 minutes. And throughout all these 15 minutes, he was giving me the advice on seeking knowledge. This and this and this. Wallahi, if you ask me right now, what did he say on those 15 minutes? I have no idea. But I know one thing. It made me feel again like I was in heaven. I was waiting to get to the university to tell the people what happened to me. But wallahi, he made me feel so special. He made me feel so important in that moment that made me, alhamdulillah, become the valedictorian at the, you know, at the end of the school years, the four years. That is a very special thing. You can change people simply by changing their emotions and how they feel about things. Can you imagine when you, when you have somebody come to the masjid feel comfortable? Can you imagine someone new? Suddenly you say, Salaam alaikum, you look new over here. He says, oh, how did you know that? He says, well, you don't come, I don't see you very often. Well, that's true, I just came actually, moved into this area, blah, blah, blah. Ahla wa salam, my name is Fulan, Zora Fulan. He's actually the operation manager. If you need anything in the area, please make sure to talk to him, to talk to her, blah, blah, blah. When someone says, here's your wife, if your wife is with you, please go and send an email to sisters at valleyranchmasjid.org, blah, blah, blah. When you give them that, they have this beautiful, amazing feeling. They change. They change. I want actually, because we have three minutes, inshallah, to finish this. Allow me to finish these slides, inshallah, come and open a chance for Q&A. Uh, <clears throat> the behavioral aspects. Now, that is the most important part. Why is that? Because what's the point if people believe in something to be great if they're not going to practice upon that? Allah subhanahu wa always says, what a jama'ah. amanu wa Does Allah says, alladhina amanu salihat a jama'ah? No, he says, وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Most of us, آمَنُوا وَعَتَقَدُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ We believe, and we truly believe in the salihat. But do we work upon the salihat? That's a big problem in our life. So most of our people in our communities, mashallah alayhum, they have the iman. They have the daniyah salihat. They have the good intentions, but they, they lack what, ya jama'ah? The practice, the behavior. Which is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Why is that? Because what was the mission of the Prophet sallallahu I was sent to help people perfect their character. That's the whole purpose. So for me, my main focus whenever I make a presentation is what? The action item. Therefore, if I give a khutbah, the first thing I think about and, and get it ready actually is what? The action item. What do I need people to do at the end of the khutbah, at the end of the program, at the end of the seminar? That's the first thing I work on. Once I identify that, I make everything leads there. Because that's the most important thing, the behavioral change. So practice is the real learning, starting new habits and removing others, putting the foundation, uh, founding knowledge into, a new into action, basically sharing all of that. It's a matter of akhlaq for all of us. So this was part two. Part two, again, was about the meaning of learning, what as adult principles are, how do people learn, how do I know that the people learned?
you can measure. You can measure what you've done if you see how people react to what you said. For example, I remember actually, one time I gave a khutbah on Birul Walidin. Birul Walidin, like any other topic, right? What was the last action item I said to them? I said, therefore, Jama'ah, if your father or your mother is still alive, please, go and talk to them and let them how much you love them. If they're away from you, call them. Let them know how much you miss them, how much you love them. If they passed away and they're near, visit the grave. Give the maqbara, go and make dua for them over there. Do something about it. So one brother actually came to me the next day and he says, you know, after the khutbah yesterday, Zakallah khair, the first thing I did when I was walking in the parking lot, I called my mom. I said, mom, I love you and I miss you. She said, what's going on? <laughs> because it was, she wasn't used to that, right? But can you imagine this action item right now? It changed, it changed the way he deals with his parents. Suddenly it became something so valuable for them to call every now and then so that next time he calls his mom, she's not going to ask what's going on. She will say, and I love you too, son. But that's the kind of like behavior that we subhanAllah model to, in order for us to, to do, inshallah, the right action. Right now it's actually 12 o'clock, so therefore we have the break for uh, lunch and Salat al-Dhuhr. And if you guys are going to go and maybe check out and bring your luggage down here, inshallah, and then at 1, when we come back, we will uh, resume. We have three, three parts. The, the next part is going to be about the adult learner. Means now the different category. What we're going to learn here there, inshallah ta'ala, the different characteristics of adult learners. We will be able to identify the different adult age groups. How are they? The particular needs for each group. How to model their learning experience. It's going to be 22 slides, inshallah ta'ala. We move this through this uh, in no time, inshallah. Wallahu ta'ala. See you, inshallah, at 